Does someone want to hum the Jeopardy tune while he's away? <laughs> I got a question for you guys. Yeah. Do you think Alex Trebek looked better with his mustache or without his mustache? With the mustache. I'm a big mustache guy, too. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Never trust a guy with a mustache. Snafu. Situation normal. All... All fouled up. This is Snafu. Welcome to the episode four of the Snafu podcast. I'm Rick, your host. With me is Dale. Hey, guys. Pat. Hey, what's up? And Jeff. Howdy. We're going to go over some cool stuff tonight. We're going to talk about the armies of the United States. Uh, We're going to do a campaign update and... We're going to talk about our hobby stuff. I think that's probably all we're going to get to tonight before we get, we'll probably, that'll be three hours in, I'm sure. Um, no, hopefully it'll only be an hour and 40 minutes or so. So anyway, uh, let's go start with hobby updates. Dale, what are you working on these days? All right, so I've got, um, I've got my Japanese pretty well completed, um, at least the first order of Japanese that, it's, um, that I had come across. And so right now I'm working on um, kind of a secret project. We've got our um, we've got the campaign day coming up in May with a tournament shortly after that in June, and so I've got my Japanese kind of there ready to go, um, but they're Plan B. I'm working on Plan A right now. It's kind of a, a top secret thing. I'm doing a little bit different because I'm actually just working on the display board for for the army that I haven't started yet. But I thought that if I built the um, display board and got it painted um, the way that I want with all the the, the terrain elements and stuff on, then then um, that should give me a better idea of how the army will look with you know composition and, and color and stuff like that, and hopefully inform me on how I might be able to to paint them better. So I've got the display board um, pretty well put together and sculpted out the way I like it. I just need to start working on on the paint now. So um, and the rest of the army is is ordered. And it hasn't been shipped yet that I can see, but um, it's getting there. So that's kind of um, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So good times. Cool. Uh, can you even tell them what army it is or what country it is? Or uh, well, I s- keep it all well, a secret. I signed up as um, Axis, so it's one of the Axis powers. Okay, so you're, you were going to at least split it down the middle, right? So yeah. it's all not right. Canada, is what you're saying? <laughs> could be. Um, could be France. It's Ireland, right? <laughs> yeah, it's Ireland when they came when they finally broke off, and it was right when they sent the um, didn't they send a letter of um, what, what did they send a letter over to Germany about that was like unbelievably terrible, like we're sorry Hitler died or something? Was that what it was? <laughs> okay, I don't nah, remember. I can't remember. I heard I remember reading something about it, and it was like this big diplomatic faux pas or something, but. Yeah, I don't know. Was this, was this in the last, like, three years? Is this, like, related no. to Brexit? Or? No, I mean, I was trying to, because I, I remember trying to do some research or studying on the relationship of um, Great Britain and the countries that are in Great Britain. And Ireland was kind of going through this whole thing during World War II. And I think they got some kind of autonomy. This is going to sound awful, because I don't know what it is. And, you know, people in Great Britain, that's 
you know, they, they're there and this is a big deal to them. So I apologize if I completely screw this up, but I just remember reading something about, um, that the, the gentleman who was kind of in charge of Ireland at the time expressed condolences or something. Yeah, it was. And I was, yeah. Anyways, no, it's not Ireland. It's, it's one of the other Axie powers. (laughs) That would make sense. Okay. All right. Jeff, what are you working on? (laughs) <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what the hell Dale's talking about. Um, I'm pretty sure he hasn't offended anyone in Britain yet because I'm pretty sure they know we're just a bunch of ignorant Americans, but you never know. Like they, <laughs> They're probably yelling at us Ireland. right now. It's uh, okay. Just have another drink, boys. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyone who takes us seriously needs to, well, I don't know, stop taking us seriously. Espe- especially in the history section of our podcast. The, the, the history is... Suspect at best. We're, Unless we're Jeff Ameri- is talking, maybe maybe he can give us a little insight. But. We're Americans. History is only two hundred years old, and it's all about us. That that seems to be about the way it works. <laughs> it is about to get a lot worse, I think. Yeah. Uh, I anyway, no political stuff. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, let's see, what am I working on hobby wise? Well, the guys will tell you I've been busy the last couple of weeks. Um, I ordered a few more Crusader uh, Dragon Portes guys and got them painted up. I think I'm going to end up using them. Also as my late war free French infantry, just to give them a unique look and flavor. Um, I'm sure there's guys that will tell me that that uniform isn't perfectly historically accurate, and I will tell you that's nice, but that's what I'm going to use. Um, and that's fine with me. Other than that, uh, we've been looking at some terrain. Stars. Yeah. <laughs> we've been looking at some terrain, so I purchased a couple uh, Sarissa kit buildings, the chateau and a large farmhouse, and I wanted to see how they would look painted, so they went on the table... And after an ordeal of priming, which involved much cursing by myself and changing of cans until I finally found the stuff my fellow gamers had recommended and then coated the crap out of it, uh, I got them painted up and brought them into the shop, and I actually think they look pretty good. Uh, I really like the kits, I like the details, and I, you know, if I've learned a lot, so now in the future I'll know how to build those kits more appropriately. Which, for all you out there, I will tell you, you're going to want to have them separated when you paint them, but if you do that chateau, put the whole roof together and then just deal with the masking and paint it that way because putting it together once it's painted will involve lots of swearing and breaking of MDF. So just you're going to have to learn that and deal with it. Did you sand it down at all? Was it like a, a fit issue? or? Yes. Well, once it, was, it fit beautifully before it was painted. Once it got painted, just yep. that little bit of extra you know, size from the paint, the primer and the paint, made it not fit beautifully. I guess yeah. I've always put them together before priming them. Yeah, the thing is is that it's a really intricate roof with like five stick-out windows uh, and like they're, they're four pieces each. It's super intricate when you put it together. So I thought it would be better this way because it's different colors and everything. It's, it's not. Just put the damn thing together and buy yourself some 3M blue tape and mask it. Is... <laughs> That building doesn't have an interior, though, right? Correct. Um, they have wall dividers for interiors, but that's it. Okay. Like there's okay. there's no. There's no like detail etched in inside or. Anything. Very little. Like one okay. of the interior walls has a crack line in it etched in with. So are you making it so you can't open it at all? So you can't put units inside? Oh no, or? no, no! Okay. You can pull the roof off, and if you're careful, you can pull the second floor off. So yeah, you can absolutely okay. pull the roofs off of them, and pull. I I left. I did not glue them together. I left them in such a fashion you could pull individual okay. floors I, off. I was going to say I I've. I found in other gaming areas or things that you do that it's almost worth dry fitting it and then sanding it a little bit. So it's just a little loose if you're going to intend to keep it apart. Yeah. You know, like, so 
like you did, but sand it, pre-sand so. it a little bit just to make sure it has just a little bit of wiggle room because that primer does add just enough that it will yep. get bound up. Absolutely. And in the future, you know, when I buy more Sarissa products, because I will be, uh, I will know to do that. <laughs> so it's uh, it was a learning experience, which is fine. I had a, a stressful work week, so painting stuff like that, it might sound like I was having more stress from that. I wasn't. It's it's how I relieve tension. So I don't know. That, that primer incident sounds like like a stress to me, but... Well, you know, when you spray, when you buy a can of something and it says primer on it, and you spray it on the wood and suddenly it looks like, I don't know, spider webs or like the wood's just like a drunk sailor slurping it up, it's a little frustrating. So you had to find the real hard stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and hopefully you found it. Well, you you did find it, but it took you a while eventually. because you don't, they don't sell it in your neighborhood. Uh, they um, were just sold out was the problem. Oh, as okay, I gotcha, learned. okay. Yeah, yeah, they had all the other stuff you could want in the world, but they were they happened to be sold out of what I was looking for the day I went looking. So, so for our listeners, if you're looking for good primer to use on MDF terrain, it's the 2X Rust-Oleum. I think that's what it's primer it's, only. Yeah, it's just it's just primer, but you can get it in multiple colors. And the way I would use it is I used to just prime black, and then I would prime a color over it, mm-hmm. and that would that would get you everything you look for. I don't. I haven't done any Sarasa yet, and I hear that like the the etching is a little bit lighter than anything else I've ever worked on. So that's a, my only concern right now is that maybe mm-hmm. the I've techniques I was using won't work. A couple of Sarasa products. Uh, I did that the German Armor Train, which um, the actually the outside of it was what they call a gray board, which is not the same as MDF, and uh, prime all your MDF separate before you put that on. That actually is it's really lightweight. And really easy to punch through when you get a little wet with glue. And then I also did the, of course, the uh, Pegasus Bridge was also a Sarissa, and that one I didn't have any trouble with. That one went very smooth. Cool. Yeah, I will say, Jeff, too, that your your chateau looked really nice. It looked it it looks perfect. Yeah, the colors were great on the farmhouse as well. I'm yeah, I love what you've done. <laughs> you have to thank my wife on that. I I asked her; she'd actually has been to France before. I asked to ask her for a color palette for central to northern France, and she suggested the uh, pastel colors. And I have to admit, I really like how they turned out too. So, yeah, it looks perfect for the for the era and placement. So, yep, well done. Thank you. All right, Pat, what are you? What do you have going on right now? Um, well, we've got Adeptcon coming up, so I just finished up a unit of SAS or Special Air Services Infantry to use for that, and then realized that the list I put together didn't exactly match the weapons they came with, so I have to do something a little different. I have to take some of my uh, commandos and repaint them a little bit to make them fit into the SES, uh, we'll call it camouflage, if you can see the air quotes I just threw up. Um, camouflage is, first of all, I hate putting camouflage on miniatures. This is radio, Pat. You can't use air quotes. Sorry. Uh, yeah, anyway, camouflage on miniatures sucks, and I suck at doing it, but I'm making my best effort. I've also got my, uh, anti-tank gun is getting a brush up from where it was before, and actually this will be the second time I've ever put it on the table at this tournament. So, got a new base for that one, just finishing that, and then, God help me, I'm making a display board for my army, because that's the way we do things, apparently. Even one know, of us, one of us. I know, a couple episodes I had a small rant about why we have to do it and all the countless display boards I have left, but I think I did this one a little more clever. 
So it's actually now I know I saw yours and I had this idea before I saw yours and just confirmed that what I had was a good idea. <laughs> so I don't think you can have a better idea than I do. I, I did say it was better. I said it was well. I may I may have said better, but we'll see. So same concept where I've actually it's got a wooden hobby box that I picked up from a local craft store. It's one of those like wooden ones that I usually have those just for toting my stuff back and forth just in case it rains. That way it's at least covered. But so I have the box that I can put. First of all, all the terrain I'm using for the display board in there, and then the display board actually sets itself up, and I can expand it to double its size, depending on how large of a force I'm putting on there. So, so far it's all coming together. I just have to do some flocking and some static grass and some uh, magnet touch-ups, and that should be I'm hoping done this week. And then, and then uh, no idea what's going to go on after that. I think I have a still pile of terrain to get to. My Northern Europe board is mostly done. I did get a couple more of those hedgerows or bacages, and that will make that one just a little bit better. And then I got a lot of great uh, moving forward on the desert board, I think, is what's next. So that's still out there a couple weeks. How about you, Rick? What are you working on? Um, I just painted, uh, so I'm getting ready for Akon as well, so I had to get a couple more models done. Uh, I actually had to get my Panzer IV painted, so my Panzer IV OSF-G just Spoiler got alert. finished. Oh, yeah, in case you want to know, there's Tiger Fear. Sorry. Um, I had to paint a medium mortar because I didn't actually have a medium mortar. I only had a heavy mortar. And then I had to paint my motorcycle machine gun because why would you not take it when you got 800 points and you can't fit a Puma in? And it doesn't thematically work with our lists. I'll put a... <laughs> I like that the first condition was that you couldn't fit it in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we've been going back and forth with the guys that... Or, and I wouldn't say we went back and forth, but we were getting... We were getting a little grief for being French and Germans together, so we're we're making we're making sure we're in flavor, but we're still trying to be competitive. So, and and we did we did find that the uh, the Panzer IV with Tiger Fear actually fits uh, in the French French German alliance time, so it works for us. Go go historical research. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We had to stop and take a look look and uh, try and figure it out. Um, otherwise, what else have I done? Um, so I've been researching the basing for my jungle board, and I think I found a technique that I'm going to use. Um, it might mean that I'm not going to buy a mat for it, though, which I think will be kind of, I don't know if it'll be good or bad. It, it might be a little bit more of an intricate table than I want, and it will probably be a little less transportable. But um, otherwise, I've been working with some local local guys to try and arrange stuff for events that we will discuss at a later date. Yeah. Um, so let's talk. I, I mean, I think that's. I mean, that's all I'm working on. I don't have. I'm actually, you know, trying to be a good husband and dad right now too. So, um, so yeah, not a lot going on is other than that. So, why don't we? We've kind of like the last two episodes skipped the campaign stuff. So I think we should. We're going to dedicate a, a bit of time. We're not going to. I mean, we're not going to spend 45 minutes talking about it necessarily, but I think we should give. Uh, Give credit where it's due. Jeff has been running running us through a pretty awesome campaign lately, and we're in the middle middle. We're, we just finished the second in a three three part series on Dunkirk, right? That is correct. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're two thirds of the way through, and I think he's got secret plans up his sleeve for the last part. I don't. Maybe he doesn't, but oh yes. So why don't we uh, why don't we talk we about that? Hear about the secret plans a little bit now. Well, might yeah, let's try and dig it out. <laughs> All right. So for for starters, for the update of the last battle, uh, the the first battle of it, of course, was uh, a German 
well, in access and trying to envelopment, trying to break through and encircle the allies. Um, that ended in a complete tie of all our Axis and Allies players, so we shifted the uh, campaign battle too to the Battle of Arras, which is a small village in northern France. And what that battle was centered around was the British attempting to break through and cut off the German spearhead of armor to avoid encirclement in northern France. Um, so we had a few fun conditions for that. I think for the first time probably in any of our campaign, the Axis was on the defense, which is a new experience for them. Uh, and they had to pick three objective markers and put them uh, none within 12 inches of each other and within 12 inches of their board edge. Uh, so they were defending three positions. And then they got to put their army out, and the Allies got to put up to <laughs> up to half their army out. Uh, and then we pulled dice. Now the caveat for this battle that made it interesting was that each player, no matter regardless of the size of their army, and they were playing 800 points, but regardless of the size of their army, took six order dice and put them in the bag. And that was the max amount of dice either player got. So you only got six orders per turn. If you wanted to shoot a unit that was coming to assault you, you had to pull one of those six dice out, and that was going to be one of your six orders for that turn. Uh, if you wanted to go down, you had to pull one of those six dice out, and that had to be one of your six dice for the turn. So there were a lot of interesting choices to be made in your dice allocation. Uh, and then the goal of the game was for the Allies to capture two of the objectives. If they could capture one, it was a tie. Uh, if the Axis held all three at the end of the game, that was game over for them. And we played, I believe it was eight turns in this one, um, trying to give the Allies a chance to get their stuff together and get across the table. Now, all of that being said, uh, running campaigns and making up scenarios is a learning experience, even for me. Uh, and what I learned from this one was is that it was just a touch one-sided because we had all Axis players win. Uh, I thought it was perfectly balanced. <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to say I think our Axis players are just that much better, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. that's probably what it is. I'm sure that's hey, Rick, what it is. Did you actually have your first bolt-action victory against me with this particular scenario? Uh, yeah. I, I was playing kind of cagey against you, too, to be so fair. So that, that tells you that was probably not a good scenario, then, if Rick actually won a game. That's a good point, Pat. If Rick actually wins well, a game, it's really, really skewed. Maybe it's more about defending or attacking, and then you guys finally figure out that an Axis player on the attack is actually at a disadvantage, so... Now you know how it feels. <laughs> I do feel, I do feel like defending... Getting, well, first of all, getting to place my objectives and being able to pick up a defensive position was actually very beneficial, and I mm -hmm. don't feel like I've ever really gotten to do it. I think something clicked in my brain where I'm like, oh, this is going to work, and I got to play a little more chess than I'm used to, um, which is kind of nice. Well, so. maybe played your strong suit because you had a fantastic game. Uh, you know, we, had, we each had a couple dice go either way. Yeah, uh, Rick, Rick. If it's not obvious, Rick and I did square off against each other in this particular scenario. Um, and he had his. Well, you actually had my tank running around the board shooting me. Yeah, I forgot. I I had been working on one of my tanks, so I actually left all my tanks at home. So I had to borrow one of Pat's Shermans, and I was running a Sherman as a Panzer three. Let me tell you, it is it is a bittersweet when you blow up your own tank by shooting it up in the rear. It's uh, <laughs> it's bittersweet, that's for sure. I was probably but, a little overly aggressive with that guy, to be fair. Well, with the rules you've been given for that particular tank, there's no reason not to. Yeah, that's true. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, Jesse and I's game went down to the wire for a tie, but unfortunately he could contest the last objective for me as well. My uh, Char 1B1 Bis did excellent. Uh, eradicating Russian units right until 
it got some pins put on it by an artillery barrage and promptly failed and then foobarred its rally test two turns running. So that kind of hurt a little bit. Wait, you said you double foobarred? Uh, foobarred once and just failed, so a 12 oh, okay. and an 11. All right, okay. Which is never what you want to have a 245-point unit doing an 800-point game. No, I'm, I'm actually quite shocked he had an artillery observer. Yeah, he brought an artillery observer. Wow. Okay. Uh, and it actually, uh, you know, he, he placed the shot very well. It came in on the first try. and uh, Well, I mean, an, how, around, how I think actually. I have no idea. I've never seen it happen before. Well, that's just because you've seen mine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm used to the guy, like, missing or drifting the shot and, on his yeah, own guys. taking two, three rounds to do nothing. Absolutely. So I was completely I caught off guard by that. the fact that it's an, a functional unit. Well, maybe when you pay for them, they work better. Yeah, that might be. That's what it is. You get what you pay for, right? Probably also helps those Russians have massed batteries, you know, so. And massed troops. I'm I'm quite shocked you didn't spend the points on more more infantry, though. He he had plenty of infantry in there. He had a SM, two SMG units. I think one hopped out of a truck and deleted one of my units off the table. Barf. Yeah, the, the, the B-1 BIS ate that unit up for me afterwards, though, so it wasn't a complete loss. But, yeah. Now, it's... wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to be using our same lists from the first battle. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't realize he had, he was he was running those truck SMG units that long. He had two truck SMG units in there. Yep. Yeah, he's been they're... doing that for a while now. I haven't yeah, seen they're... him not run that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's ever not taken that unit. It's okay. a really good unit. It really is. Especially when we haven't played enough games to know how to counter it very well. Don't you know? let it get within 12 inches is all I can that, think that's, of. That's not a real counter. <laughs> Blow up the truck before Blow he gets his Blow up the truck. That is, yeah, that, that, is the, that is a counter, yeah. yeah. Get the Make sure it's got pins when you start, yeah. Yep. Or when you set the board up, don't put any roads out. <laughs> that is also a counter. <laughs> we should really start to rely on the tank traps and get those uh, the hedgehogs yeah. out there and stuff like that. Another one of our players, Dave and I, played a game on Thursday night that wasn't campaign-related, but we put roads out, but we put tank traps on the roads because that actually makes sense. You, you, somebody's got a village and like, ah, we don't want tanks coming in. We're going to put tank, tank teeth out. Now, are tank traps um, just something? Yeah, dragon teeth, is that just something we can drop down? Or is that like a defensive fortification that you can buy for your army? No, I just made it part of the terrain. Oh, okay. It's, yeah, it's just terrain at this stage. Uh, I forget which it was that first Northern Europe camp theater book that actually had point costs for putting stuff like that in there, and they also had point costs for putting in like things like minefields and stuff mm-hmm. like that too. I think almost all the campaign books have minefields in one sort or another, but yeah, that's uh, Germany Strikes has the rules for it, and Duel in the Sun also has rules for it. Okay. And, so, I, and I assume Battleground Europe does too. So, Jeff, with the overwhelming Axis victory, mm-hmm. congratulations, Rick. Well played. I'm happy to Thanks. that was yeah. us. Yeah, I thought we, we, we did a bang-up job. Um, what do we have to look forward to um, for the grand finale of this, the third part? Sounds well, like you need a sling to handle the uh, padding on the back you just had there. Well, it's due. I mean, we've been getting our, our butts handed to us for a while. So. By butts handed, you mean fighting end. to a draw? <laughs> well, I mean... Yeah, the middle was a draw. We finally won. But early on, it wasn't going too well for us. So No, and let it's supposed to be going well. Yeah, let us, let us brag for a minute. Let's feel, let us feel good <laughs> before you pummel us into the ground like you're supposed to. Yeah, you know, you, you haven't even hit the uh, pinnacle of the uh, Axis power, 41. So you guys right. are doing just building. You're just building. Right. Yeah, and, and you're, you're letting us get a false sense of hope. 
Yeah. So that we'll overextend ourselves, and then you'll you crush it. us. That's, exactly. I mean, that's the whole way this war works. You're going to be right? so impressed with your Luftwaffe and tanks that you won't spend time developing better things for another two years, and it'll be too late. Oh, dude, I, I bought a mouse already. It's too late. A mouse. Get out of here with that. <laughs> why, don't you just, why don't you just buy a big concrete building and put some guns in it? Same thing. <laughs> Pretty yeah, close. Who needs a repliable supply line when you've got donkeys that can pull everything that you need? Right. And as long as you can shoot guns and the donkeys don't freak out, it'd probably be okay. And you can't eat a Jeep if you happen to go hungry. At least you got a chance with the donkey. <laughs> mm, donkey. It's a little tough, I've, I've heard. <laughs> you never chewed out someone's ass before? Oh, yeah. All right. Um, yeah, that might have to get edited out, actually. <laughs> We're going to airstrike that one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your marker for the edit. Edit. Yep. Okay. Um, so what's your uh, so what you're looking for for the third game? Then I'm I'm very pleased with everyone. We're playing this pretty historically accurate, which always makes me happy. Uh, is going to be the evacuation off the beaches at Dunkirk, uh, and this will be an interesting scenario where both sides are going to have to make tactical choices, not just related to units on the board about how they want to play, and an allocation of scarce resources. I'm going to say that. Uh, these final games are always going to be team games, so right now I'm planning on pushing three of the 4x4 four four boards together. So we have a nice big playing surface for everyone to get on. But the general goals are going to be for the Allied players to preserve their army and get as many off the beach and onto whatever ship can possibly get up there to load troops as possible, uh, while at the same time holding whatever defensive perimeter they can, because if the Axis overruns all your units, well, then the Axis is going to win and nobody escapes and... And then it's 1940. Then it's conflict 47 before Britain gets enough troops and supplies back together to reinvade mainland Europe. So, I think it's going to be pretty interesting. Sounds so, interesting. Now we're still tied to. We're still bound by the outcome. Like so, I had seven units in my original list, mm-hmm. and they've all been wiped out except for one. Yes. They're all still going to be inexperienced. That is correct. Yes, uh, and that will right. factor into your tactical decisions. Okay. Mine are all inexperienced too, Dale. Don't worry. <laughs> no, they weren't. Oh my god! I had that I problem. You, you see, have this group of vets that uh, actually ended up winning you the scenario because they were vets at the end. Oh yeah, that's right. I've still got two vet units on the table. Yeah. I'm actually looking at my list right now. And yeah, the only thing that actually went inexperienced that game was the Panzer. <laughs> went inexperienced. So there you go. I, I don't know what you guys are doing. I've only, uh, I think I've only got two units that are, two or three I've units that are in I've lost the same units in both games. You know, to be fair, Jeff, when you run away from every fight, being the French. Hey, now, I they, got the closest be to winning in our game. They're, they're veteran at running away. <laughs> they're yeah, vets. That counts. Did you just say you're the closest to winning? So I mean, they've probably, so, yeah. seen enough, they've probably seen enough war that you're like, ah, screw it, we're done. We're just going to run away. I was at least contesting one objective and in position to contest a second at the end of my game. You know, I'm going to call kind of a little bit of shenanigans on this because I'm so used to focusing on the objectives of the individual scenario that I'm in that I'm, I'll gladly throw away a unit or two or three if it means I'm going to win the battle in the end. And so I've all my guys have died except for my goofy little uh, tankette. Um, and so now I'm coming into this last battle really kind of feeling like I didn't pay attention to what I was supposed to be doing exactly because they're all inexperienced except for the one thing that I thought for sure was going to die. Yep, and this is what we call a learning experience. And I, think like... it's, I don't think it qualifies because in tournaments, it's not about what I did before. I just have to win to keep going. 
This isn't but, a tournament. This is a campaign. There are also yeah. there well, are also I many guess. games, Dale, in tournaments where preserving units and keeping them alive on the board will score you points. Well, yes, correct. So and I'm trying to teach you to preserve your resources. We, you're right. We did we did have like when I played Pat in the first scenario, you did score points for um, for having guys alive in the enemy's deployment zone, um, and I didn't play that one very well. And we still had a draw. But I got guys off, so that was. But unless every, unless if you want to teach me to keep my guys alive, every scenario's got to have that condition. Otherwise, I'm going to like, oh, that veteran unit will overrun the position; they'll die, but I'll secure the objective, and that's totally okay. But then at the end of the game, I'm like, oh no, they're inexperienced now. <laughs> it's very Japanese. Of you. Well, you did also have your game against a fellow who was playing his second game of bolt action ever. Oh, Rocky did fine. Nah. He should have blown you off the board, but he didn't know what he's doing. <laughs> Good word. Well, and to be fair, Dale, you still have your stupid busted rule for the time being. Wait, where you want to talk? Oh, I, I'm not getting you to take advantage oh, not, of half not of mine. Not the campaign rule. You're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking. Okay. No, no. Right. Yeah. Don't talk about my tank rule because you got salty about that one. I still think it's awesome. I got um, salty about three different times, and I blew her up, and then I was fine <laughs> with it. So, so for those that don't know, earlier in the campaign, Jeff gave. Uh, so through the first set of scenarios, he gave us a special rule for one unit. We got to pick the unit, um, and everyone else picked, like, infantry units, and they were like, these are cool. And, and then I'm like, Jeff, I want to take my Panzer III. It was my MVP. Give me some special rule for my Panzer III. And Jeff gave me a special rule for my Panzer III. Um, it's allowed to run and shoot, which is kind of ridiculously good. It's pretty and- fun. Broken. Yeah, I can I can haul ass across the table and then I can shoot you in the butt with my Panzer III. So yes, it, it's it's fun. But I'm you know here's the thing is we're going to get into a stage here where I'm going to start wanting to play the Panzer IV and I want I'm going to start wanting Tiger Fear. Not we're not too far away. I'm a couple. We're, I think we're only two or three years away from that. So well, that's a choice you're going to have to make. Yep, I'm either going to get to keep that special rule or I'm going to have to take something else. You got it. Yep. So it's it, which is cool. It's fine. That's the way it works. I think I'll I'll take Tiger Fear when I can. Yeah, it still dies just as easily if someone can put a round through it. So true. Yeah, the trouble is you have to not roll a one or a two when you're trying to shoot at it, and then you so don't have a chance. So that rules you out yes. from shooting at it. Yeah, you you did it, a couple rounds. It takes me about three ones. turns to actually get a chance at it. Yes. And you had double shots at it too. You were taking a tank round and an artillery round at it, and you were still—you missed two turns in a row. My my tank survived three turns without dying to both of those. And hey, all fairness, I did hit one of those, but then failed to wound. Yeah, that's fair. Good point. So, and you also had a shot where you did, in fact, hit my uh, my Matilda, and then you flubbed the the wound roll. Too, oh, I so. I do that all the time. My tank never actually kills anything. This is also true. I've noticed. Yeah, it just I give up. I, I, I need more. I need more shots. Yeah, and in fairness, Pat, you know you got a special unit too. What's your guy do? Actually, I, I went with two special units. Uh, the first one was an infantry group, who after having had their artillery barrage blow back in their line so many different times, will no longer take pins from high explosive. Which is kind of handy, yeah. although they they've gone, they've been, gotten so used to being shot at by their own artillery. That they they're stopped like taking pins from it. Yes, they're just like, yeah, no big deal. There's like, bah, this happens all that's the time. That's a great rule. I, that's a great rule, actually. Mm-hmm. And of course, they haven't been shot with high explosives yet since they've gotten that rule. You've been playing yeah. them too cautiously. <laughs> no, 
no one. Well, I, I guess we kind of had a, a decline in mortars because they've had other targets. Now that we started putting armor on the uh, armor on the board. So, mm-hmm. and then my uh, my artillery observer also got a special rule because he's also so good at having his artillery shots not come in at all or get blown back into their lines. His should they blow back in the lines, they only scatter two d six instead of three d six. So he's gotten so good at calling things wrong that he can actually compensate for that. I actually found that to be extremely amusing. That's funny. He's like, he knows which guy is flying the plane. Or, no, because you're not an air observer. You're just yeah, artillery observer. Like, oh, so Bob running the cannon. To the yeah. left, so let's, uh, let's turn it a little bit this way. Bob the lazy eye back there is going <laughs> to always shoot left. Let's compensate. Mm-hmm. Just like a bad golf swing. Yep. yep. To diss on people's lazy eyes, we don't do that. Yep. Just so our listeners know, everybody got something pretty fun. Yeah. So, I don't know if we. There's some other ones you guys haven't seen yet from some of the other players that are pretty. I, that's very. That's a fair. Something a little interesting too. Do I? Um, do I get my? Do I get my special rule at the end of Dunkirk? You're going to be really sad when I tell you this, Dale. But um, you have to pick a unit that survived at least one game during this section of the campaign. Well, I've had a couple of units that have survived. That's good. Then so that's one of the units that has the ability to upgrade. Just, it has to survive one game, right? One game. Just one game. All right, I have a couple of candidates then. I might stick it with my tank if he Wait, survives so, this last one. So it had to only survived one game in this in this yes. third round? Okay, yes. in this yes, three-game scenario. Okay. Yes, yes, I can. Yes, I don't think can. I will. So uh, just for the listeners at home, I anticipate that we will start posting in some fashion, these scenarios when, when, so Jeff will, Jeff has been writing them up, but I'll, I'll make sure that we get them on the website so you guys can actually play along. Cause I think that's a, this has been super immensely fun. And I think it's an awesome way to get uh, a bit of, of history that people maybe don't pay attention to very often or are not very often focused on in, in world war two. The other thing I find really interesting about is that, you know, we're, we're in 1940, we're dealing with the fall of France, and we've got U.S. players and Japanese players all all in the mix, or Japanese armies, rather, which normally you didn't see well, in France. It, w- it was a foreign exchange program. Yeah, I, unfortunately, or fortunately, I mean, these guys played these armies, and I think Jeff is doing a great job of, you know, balancing the the historical relevance versus the, you know, the actual history of it, so you're not like... Everyone gets to play, hey, you're American. No, you can't play because you're playing Americans, and it's way too early for the Americans to show up. I think that's You're going to have to come back. Silly. We're going to need you to come back in September, so if yeah, you just wait exactly. until then. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's either make historical co- concessions or it's tell guys to play with themselves for like six months. So That's a different yeah. podcast. Again, that, yeah, that is definitely a different podcast. And, and I think it's it's – there's value in having all those guys playing now, and I think we've got them all excited. So it's it's great to have them involved, even if they aren't. Well, I said excited in their couple right. And for the maybe. most part, yeah. we're keeping them to their earliest uh, theater selectors. So most, you know, it's not like the Americans are rolling in with Pershing tanks here in 1940 France. Yeah, not yet. So. He hasn't figured that out yet. Well, they're not in his theater selector until... Oh, that's right. He's <laughs> playing his earliest before. theater selector. Yeah, that's Correct. right. So. Yeah, he's running an Operation Torch list, which is... Uh, Pretty mediocre at best for the Americans. I'm playing um, 1930 Manchuria, so that was my earliest. As well. <laughs> I think you can maybe move out of the earliest. Word. Well, I've only got the Japanese Army book, and so the next one is like 42 or something like that, which is too far. So that's just how we're okay. Out. All right. So, so side note: Does Isn't anyone have Empire in Flames? We need to pick that up. 
Uh, I, I can grab it most likely. Flames. Okay. Yeah. I think there's some other theater selectors in there. I, I think Duel in the Sun has other theater selectors for him too. I'll make a point uh, to research Duel in the Sun is very oh, much sorry. focused on Africa and no, Italy, so I don't right. think so. <laughs> That'd be weird. Yeah, that would be a little odd. Okay. I I mean, so I, hopefully people are are getting something out of us doing these campaign updates. I think that they're, like I said, I'll post I'll post them all in the show notes on our website probably, so the snafupodcast.com. Um, we might even post them as a PDF or some sort or a link at least to to them on an, on the Facebook group or maybe even Twitter if we can figure out who's doing the Twitter thing. We have lots of people doing the, the Facebook thing, but nobody's really doing the Twitter thing yet. I'll do the um, Twitter if you want me to. All right. Well, we'll, we'll talk, Dale. That sounds great because I think we're, we're missing a medium there. Um, we have lots of – or a fair amount of, of interaction on Facebook. We're, we're starting to get more, and that's encouraged, and we love it. So keep keep it up. Um, yeah, so we'll start we'll start posting this stuff online so you guys can play along. We've come across some rules that we have played wrong, or I think not even just us, but I think a lot of people may play wrong. Um, so I think we should go through some of these things because I think they're they're important, and we'll try and we'll try and keep this short. But I think it's kind of a there are a couple that I think are are big here. So um, Pat, you wanna you wanna kind of walk us through a couple of these? Uh, the first. One that we had come up is uh, Jeff's infantry unit has what was it like a what was the weapon you had in there? Oh, uh, it's a, yeah, it's a VB launcher. Okay, so, a VB, so, yeah. It's basically and, a rifle grenade. Right, and the the Japanese have the same capability of putting a light mortar in an infantry squad. So, up to three, actually, yeah. Yeah, like, yes. and they're like a knee mortar, right? You can like launch them like from the knee. Yeah, they're knee mortars, and I completely dismissed them in the conversion from one to two, but Jeff. With his performance, is making me rethinking that. Yeah, I'm afraid we might have uh, woken a sleeping giant there. Yeah, because um, what we need is more Japanese craziness. So here's what happens. If you have multiple weapons in a unit, first of all, everyone in that unit has to fire at the same target, unless it has a target-specific weapon, i.e. the Panzerfoss, which is yep. actually an anti-tank. So the entire unit can fire at infantry, and then that one special weapon that's an anti-tank weapon can fire at its own designated target, like anti-tank. So the Japanese, with their multiple light mortars in their infantry unit, all of those mortars plus the rifles have to f- have to focus on one unit. They can't split fire between those. Unless there's a, spe- a special rule that says they can, uh, the entire unit has to fire at the same regardless of what the weapon is. So, that being said, you have rifle shots being taken, and now you've also got an HE coming in. So the HE generally does D2 pins, whereas the rifle, of course, just does one. Now, the standard rule is any unit being fired on by a unit, regardless of the number of weapons, takes a pin. Unless they have HE weapons, in which case they kind of take the best of the scenarios. And they, they kind of, in the rules, they're, they're kind of dodgy about this, but they kind of covered a little bit on page 70, where they talk about multiple HEs. And they use the autocannon as an example, which has multiple hits on a unit, each of them doing a one-inch HG template, and they say, very specifically, that it only suffers a single batch of multiple pin markers. Do not multiple, do not multiple, and not multiples of them. So they're not taking D2 for if, like, four autocannon hits on a unit. They're not taking four D2s. They're just taking the one D2 for the unit. And there's somewhere in here when they talk about vehicles, and so a vehicle has multiple weapons. They can be fired in any sequence at any number of targets. But say you have vehicle three MMGs, and all three MMGs fire at the same unit, that unit is only going to ever take one pin 
from that unit to unit target to, and that's it. So I think that's one that's always kind of out there questionable that no one really knew much about. Right, and for us, um, Jeff was was lighting up my Japanese, and he, he blew through a few with his rifles, and then he started lobbing the grenades, and the grenade hits. They all hit, actually, I think. And so we were trying to wonder, so we got the one for the rifles, is it a, an additional D2? And I think in the end we ended up playing that it was just going to be whatever the D2 came out to be. We didn't um, com, um, accumulate the right. multiple it wasn't, sources. It wasn't one for the rifles and then another two for the D2 on the on the mortar launcher or whatever it was. Right, so we got that one right, okay. And then here's another important thing for you, Dale, is because you can have up to three light mortars in yours. You have to keep track of which one of those three have hit their target and begun ranging in. So if you have one of your light mortars that hit, now that one's ranged in and the other two are not. Is it, still, right. ran- is it still ranged in if you move as well, though? So if I move, is it still ranged in? Ranged in, ranged in is if the target or the attacker moves more than, has to move more than six inches from their current position. Wait, 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 wait. So wait, if, what? if the target moves less than six inches, am I still moved in? Am I still um, uh, ranged in? Yeah. Oh, that's, oh. That's, that, that keeps that you. That's a that keeps you because, like, if you're in a trench, right, and you get ranged in, that keeps you from just being like, I'm going to advance order and just kind of shuffle the cards and not really move. That keeps you from doing that. So you're still yep. ranged in. You've you got to get out of that you position. Have to, uh, okay. You have to. Uh, uh, six inches might be a little much, but it might be two inches. But you have to. They, they actually specify a certain distance you have your entire unit has to be from your last location to no longer be ranged in. So yeah, you can't just put the advanced order down and go, oh, I'm going to take the penalty shot, but I moved, so now you're not ranged in. That's exactly why they did that. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, they All didn't right, so have that in version one. We'll have to look at what that range is specifically. And then I assume that it will, it'll, it'll impact me and, and Jeff as well if he moves. Okay. I think it's the entire unit can't be within two inches of its last position. And I, I will find the exact page that's on there and throw it up on our Facebook page or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I read, I read across that and like, ooh, I don't think anyone knows this because that wasn't in version one. Okay. All right. What's the next rule yeah. that we ran into? That's like uh, – let me look here. So the next one is dense terrain. So I think that's – I think it gets played pretty incorrectly across the board. Maybe that's just in our own group. But I feel like that might be something that doesn't get quite often clarified. So um, – this one, I think, is I think the I think what Pat is writing about in here is that if you're shooting through it, if you're not within one inch of the edge of it, you're taking that dense terrain modifier still, or the the. If you're shooting it, out of it, so if, if you're you, shooting out of it, right. So if, if you, you occupy a dense terrain and you're not within one inch of the edge, you're suffering that minus one soft cover penalty. See, Pat explains it so much better than I can. <laughs> okay, so it doesn't stop you from shooting. You just apply that. Um, that minus one dense terrain right. modifier to your shot. Okay. So in the flavor text is that, you know, they're at the edge of this, say, apple orchard or whatever, and they've taken up position up against trees and stuff like that. So they're actually shooting around the trees, but there's no more trees in front of them. You know, they're at the edge of it. So you have to be within one inch. Okay. I, now does, I know we haven't done that. I know I no, we haven't. haven't. we haven't right. been doing that. I think it was a holdover where if you were in the dense terrain, you just counted. You ignore it. Yeah, you ignored it. Okay. Right, you count as like it's kind of like a building where you count as everywhere in it, but that, that definitely doesn't apply the same way. Um, so if you're within an inch of the edge, you're still they're still applying the modifiers back at you. Right, you still have the cover bonus. Okay, but you so don't it's still have good the for you. While you're, right, you just always have to be moving 
you know, correctly within it. And, and of course, remember, unless it's open ground, you can't run. So you can only advance if you're in that dense train. Your only move option is advance. You can't run, so you have to advance to the edge of the train so you're not taking that penalty. And then that segues next or into our last rules thing. And this came up um, with the game that Jeff and I were playing, and Jeff told me about this, and I was like, what? I've been playing it wrong for months. So, Jeff, why don't you, why don't you talk about this one? Sure. So the question was, um, if you're in a defended, if you're defending an obstacle, so you've got a unit down, there's an obstacle directly in front of you you're touching, so you're going to get a hard cover bonus from that obstacle. But if the unit that is, in a, and if a unit assaults you in hard cover, you count as a defended obstacle, uh, and when they're moving on the run order, which they use to assault you in hand-to-hand, they ignore that obstacle coming at you. But the question is, is if that unit that's defending the hard cover wants to charge out of their hard cover at a unit that's, say, in the open, how far can they go? Because they're using, you can't run across uh, an obstacle, it says. So what we determined was you can actually only go six inches. It's like you're crossing, since you're crossing an obstacle or difficult ground, it limits your assault range coming out of the trench to six inches as opposed to the 12 you think it would be. Right, and so this changed out significantly how I thought that my army worked because we kind of set up our obstacles 11 to 12 inches apart. And so I would occupy an obstacle, um, take whatever fire I could within my cover, and then I would bonsai charge from my defended obstacle to try to get to the next obstacle um, and either attack or just take up the next obstacle. And I always thought that, you know, when I was defending an obstacle, that meant I could ignore that obstacle and I could run through it because I was I was occupying the obstacle. But we checked the rules, and Rick was, or not Rick, but um, Jeff was exactly correct. There's nothing in the rules that, that explicitly stated that I could ignore the defended op- my defended obstacle when I was leaving it. And as a matter of fact, I was capped at six inches, which had an impact because I was in some hedges, and Jeff was in a trench that was like eight eight inches away, and I'm like, bonsai charge, and he's like, you, you can only go six inches. And I was like, oh, man, no way. And that's, a, that's how it worked out. So I think I've been, where tra- this inter- I've been playing that wrong. I, I think where this misinterpretation comes from is pretty common, is because when you actually occupy a, a hedgerow or a defensible position like that, is you ignore it for shooting. You ignore its penalty for shooting. And I think that's, oh, we're manning it, so we just ignore it like it's not there. Uh, I, I can see where that's very easily misinterpreted. In fact, I went back across some, uh, some videos online that were put out by a, another major company, and they've actually played it wrong in a couple different scenarios in their videos. So that's um, that's a big rule that came up, and, and Jeff got it right. And I appreciate, actually, you stepping up, Jeff, and saying, I don't think this is right. And then we we figured it out, we played it correctly, and that's actually going to help me get it right moving forward So because um, I want to play it right. So Right, right. Well, I think it, it makes sense because, I mean, if you're behind a stone wall or in a trench system and you want to assault out of it, first off, I'm wondering why you're assaulting out of it. But even if you do, you're going to have to go up and over to make it. So it makes sense that it's going to slow you down even if you're defended against it. Right, that that totally makes perfect sense. Sure, and, and the guy yeah. coming in is just going to slide down on top of you and beat the crap out of you into that trench. Right, at the same there. time. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to point out, I think it was mentioned earlier, I don't, I have, I'm awful with rules, so don't ever, ever expect me to know the rules. 
Right, and fortunately, I mean, we've we've known each other for so long and played so many games that there's never been a, a, a situation where it's like, oh man, I hate to rules lawyer this, but and it's never been like that. We just, it was wrong, we got it right, so that's good. Yeah, and I'm glad that we're bringing it up and talking about it too because this was a big one because I'm thinking. You know, as as a guy who's always going to be charging as much as possible, at least while I'm learning what I'm supposed to be doing, um, the fact that I can't charge 12 inches from a defended obstacle really changes up how I'm working through moving my army forward and getting them into the right spots. So that was that was a big deal. And and the earlier I know about it now, then this the faster I'm going to be to actually apply the way I should be playing. So like when we do get to the campaign days and the tournaments and, and playing forward that we get that one right. So that's, and, you know, because it's, you know, I'm charging out of the defended obstacle because I'm Japanese and that's what we do. So that's why I do it. So. Yeah. Cool. Um, and this has come up a couple times. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to call this one out because it happened in my game against Dave and it also happened at, on the bolt action uh, Facebook group. If you do not, if you have a heavy, uh, heavy artillery piece or heavy heart, heavy howitzer, uh, you need a toe. Don't not bring a toe. You don't get to bring it on the table if you don't have a toe. I told someone it sucks to be them on Facebook, and they might have taken it the wrong way. Uh, I, I liked that one actually. That was yeah, I, I, I got that. a lot of likes, but I felt like <laughs> I was being a, maybe a little snippy with them. I'm like, dude, I, dude, you got to take it. Read the rules, and it tells you you can't not take a toe with a heavy with a heavy piece of artillery. It's kind of so, like the tax on it. You, you want a nice big thing that's going to blow shit up? Great, you can do it, and but you, you got to bring a toe. You can get a mule team for ten points. There's there's right. no excuse not to have right. a toe. Exactly. There's there's and that's and it's still a dice. It's not like you don't get the dice for the mule team. So right, and so and so, um, uh, Rick, explain why that's actually really important to have a toe for your heavy howitzer. Okay, so there's a lot of scenarios where you have to bring guys on the first turn. Uh, if you don't have a toe, that artillery piece just sits on the side. You don't get to bring it on. Uh, so in tournament play, uh, I think that's actually very common that you're bringing stuff on in reserve or first wave, and they have to start off the table and move their way on the first turn. You, you really absolutely have to have a toe for any heavy artillery piece. Yep, it's it's just one of those things. If you want to bring it onto the table, you got to have that toe. So, All right. I think that's all the the rules things that I've got. Anybody else? Yeah, that's. So I will point out that we it turned out in my game with with Dave. Actually, he had a toe, but he had two pieces of artillery, and he had a medium piece. And I, he he told me it was a heavy, and I'm like, well, okay. So why do you have two? How do you have two heavies? That's insane. And then he's like, oh, one of them's medium. I'm like, oh, you can push the medium on, and I think you do get to push the medium on the table. Correct. You can move it up to six inches without a without a toe. Correct. Light and medium. Yeah. Can move so so he was fine. I just, order, they can move six inches. Yeah. Yeah. We had to clarify that because he he told me he had two heavies and I'm like, well, you're just gonna have to leave one at home. Uh, but it, it turns out one of them was a medium and you can push a medium on medium or light. You can push on, but a heavy you absolutely have to have a toe. So if you're gonna take a heavy, which good for you if you do, but you definitely take that like and like just that the ten point mule. Heavy to be technical. Heavy and, heavy right. And super heavy. Heavy enough. Right. Heavier, heavier than your guys can push on the table. In Dave's case, it was an 88, so it definitely wasn't getting dragged on by the guys. So, yeah, I don't I, – that was the only – well, okay, so there was one other rule that came up in our last game that I think was kind of intriguing, and we kind of – we dug into it a little bit afterwards, is – so he brought his 88 on the table, and that transport that was a toe, he wanted to use to put another unit in, 
and move them across the table. But it's it's there's a it's the wording on the transport rule or or manning a transport is a little ambiguous. Uh, in in addition to giving a giving a truck or, or a transport or a vehicle a down order, because uh, because the rule state in the in the transport or putting a unit into a transport is that the unit cannot the transport cannot move, and if the unit boards it, it can't move after it's been boarded, which is a really weird ruling. But so how do you give a dice to the truck without giving it an advance or a run. And that's what we were running into because we're like, you have to give it a down, but you technically aren't supposed to give it a down. I don't know what you guys thought well, about that. Well, yeah, where did you guys end up on that one? So as it turns out, uh, the clarification actually turned out that you can give it a down order as a as basically saying it's not moving, it's not doing you anything, you just don't... There's, if I remember right, there's a spot in the book that says you can't give it a down order. But I think it's more more clarifying than that is that you can't give it a down order and get the bonus for being down. So you don't ever get the negative two to shoot at penalty, um, but you can give it a down order. So you can say this this transport's not moving. I'm going to man a unit into it, and then we're going to move next turn. And I think that's it was like we are both boggling our brains around it, going like, this doesn't make sense because I thought you couldn't give a vehicle a down order. Oh, you absolutely can. Yeah, so that that was the tricky part, is that so, you can give it a down order, it just can't take the negative two modifier. Uh, vehicles don't get the negative two modifier for the down order, it's only infantry. Right, yeah, exactly. That's That was where we were getting hung up. Yeah, yeah, because a vehicle can't take advantage of the cover that's lying around in the tall grass. Right, we didn't think, both of us, are, both of us, both of us thought you couldn't, voluntarily give a vehicle a down order. We thought you had to be given it as via like getting hit or something or like going into stun or whatever. The down order is pretty dangerous. Actually, now what they technically say is transports can't be, can't be given in advance or run order. So they can do anything else. They can, they can have a fire order. They can have an ambush order or whatever. Um, so they can be not given in advance or run in order for a unit to board it or a tow to board it. And then after that, the rest of the round, it also still can't receive an advance or run order. So it right. has to stay just immobile the whole round, whether it has a right. down order. It has or not, to stay fun. halted. Yeah. So that's where we were getting confused, is like because we didn't think you could give it a down order, and that's all he wanted to do was just he's like, I got a dice, I don't want to do anything with it. I'm just going to give this truck a down order. I'm like, I don't know if you can just give it a down order. Give it a fire order. It has no guns. Right. Uh, there you go. That would actually made more sense. And you'd be like, Hey, I'm going to ambush it. It doesn't do anything. Then, then it wouldn't have mattered, and that probably would have made more sense. But it was one of those weird, what? How does a unit board a truck during a game? Because that doesn't happen very often. I would love to see a truck try and hunker down and get behind a small hill. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be funny. Is it like a convertible? Def- you just take the top down, and now it's a little bit smaller. We're going to deflate the wheels and get us yes. that extra six inches. Dig a hole, put it in a trench. Yeah. So that was the only other one we had come up. I think. Yeah, that was the only other weird, weird scenario that Dave and I had during this last week. But so, yeah, so now we're going to take a for real break, um, not just not just me break. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the Americans and all the cool special rules they have and some other cool, unique ideas. All right, we'll see you back in about three minutes. When the Yang 
pinks raised the stars and stripes on Iwo Jima Isle Through the blood and tears they won through Bless the heart of each Yankee there on Iwo Jima Isle Resting neath a blanket of blue High on the hill Suribachi Flies old glory and she always will When the Yanks raised the stars and stripes on Iwo Jima Isle There were tears in their hearts though they smiled Welcome back. We're, we took a nice little break there, and we're going to talk about the armies of the United States now. So I think the idea of this is we're going to go through each of the army books and kind of go through what makes them special, what makes them unique, what the special rules do for them, any you know highlight units, uh, anything that kind of works together. And then I have, a, I have a little surprise for you at the end that I think that I, I, I gave each of the other, other hosts here. Uh, a special task at the end, and we're going to try and go through it real quick. Uh, so why don't we start with this Army Special Rules, and I think we're going to leave one of them out because we'll talk about it in the vehicle section. Uh, but So we're talking about the Army of the United States, and let's kind of go through all the rules. I think the, their first special rules, I think they're bread and butter, and it's kind of sometimes gets, I, I don't know if it's missed or, I, I'm building a Marine list right now. So unfortunately, a lot of my, army, or a lot of my weapons have assault, but their first special rule is the fire and move. I can't remember what it's actually called. Pat, you have the, the rule open on that page right now. Fire and maneuver. Fire and maneuver. So it's yes. not even fire move. Move. It's fire and maneuver. And it's, it's spelt Britishly with an extra O and U. So. Oh, because it's a British company and that makes sense. They like their extra vowels. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think that rule is pretty straightforward. It basically gives all of their weapons assault, and that's why it's kind of detrimental to Marines is that uh, – not exactly true. So anything it doesn't give them tough fighter, but right. It, what it does is it negates their everyone who's not playing Americans always has to suffer a minus one to hit if they do an advance and then a fire order. What this rule allows is anybody who's um, armed with an, the M1 Garand rifle 
or carbine, which is the standard or, stock. Or GI the bar, issue. right? Uh, was it? Yep, also the BAR is the other one. Yep. So if you're armed with those, which, again, the M1 is their standard rifle for infantry, and the BAR is an upgrade for many of their units, just a matter of how many they get, depending on which unit you look at, they completely ignore that minus one to move. Huge. Um, Super awesome. It basically it gives them all assault minus the tough fighter rule for close combat. But it's it, really it, sweet. Yeah. To, to, to give this a, a point perspective, um, uh, Britain and the Commonwealth, which is what I play, they have a unit called the Chindits, which have this exact same rule, and it's a three-point cost per model for them to have the special rule. So this is huge. Yeah, and, and your whole, basically, anything that's infantry gets a special rule. And the reason why they actually get the rule, and they actually do some, some flavor text into it, and Jeff can maybe respond more to the historical element behind it, but the, the tactical doctrine was actually emphasized that the, the firepower and mobility, and they had no shortage of ammunition for training purposes like many other nations did. So they were able to learn how to, oh, that's just what you normally do. You, you'd normally move up while you're firing your rifle. Why would you, why would you not do that? Well, and in addition to that, historically, uh, the M1 Grand is probably one of the best general purpose and issue rifles other than maybe the German assault rifle in the war, and we had it from the start. And what makes it special is, I apologize to gun people out there if I get this wrong, it's the clip, I believe you're going to call it in that case, of a number of rounds that slide down, and then it's a semi-automatic rifle as opposed to a bolt-action rifle, meaning every time you pull the trigger, you get a bullet out of the gun, as opposed to fire rock the bolt forward back, fire, rock the bolt forward back. So you can put down fire a lot faster with a semi-automatic rifle than you can with a bolt action. So they weren't playing the same game. Correct, yeah. The, we, we that was the grand. That was, that was different than the BAR, correct? Uh, yeah, the BAR is actually, um, I want to say it's 1918, uh, maybe a little. It was built to be after our experience in World War One. so it's, it's a lot heavier uh, and larger, but it's not a full-on machine gun which is why it's classified, I believe, as an uh, assault rifle in this game. Um, so it carries a magazine underneath uh, with a number of rounds. It's a heavy caliber gun. It's meant for fire suppression. So when the guys are going to move, your BAR gunner lines up um, a general shot in the vicinity of the enemy and just holds down the trigger, and that one's fully automatic, and look out because it's going to spray a whole lot of ammo downrange until that magazine runs out. So his job is make the enemy put his head down while the rest of the infantry gets up and hauls ass to the next section of cover. So so am I, am, am, I, am I an ass for saying it's a bar? Is it really a B-A-R? Do I have to say it that way all the time? Or can I say bar? Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I wasn't around in World War II. Uh, I have always heard veterans call it a B-A-R, but right. I think you could probably get away with calling it a bar, and no one's going to complain too much. Or should I just call it a Browning automatic rifle? Browning automatic rifle is the uh, correct terminology. Okay. If you want to get very specific, it's Browning automatic rifle 1918 A1. I don't know, something like that. A bunch of letters and numbers okay. and stuff at the so end. Okay, so it's a BAR. Not to be confused with a bolt-action rifle, which also is what BAR stands for. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't. Nobody else is getting them called that, so... It, the browning is a little different. It's it's a little bit heftier, which is kind of cool. Um, so the next one we'll talk about is is another, I think, a big one, and this kind of leads. Well, yeah, this leads into the into the. Well, let's let's skip air power for now. Let's go into the modern communications because I think that's a that's a rule kind of standalone. Uh, I think it makes a difference in in 
in their armies. I think that's that's a huge tournament play army rule. It's probably also forgotten about the most. Yeah, I feel like I've played a bunch of Americans that have all and forgotten it, this rule. Yeah. So Absolutely. With the, what the rule is, is that normally when you have something in reserve that has to move on a table, it suffers a minus one penalty. And because of the modern communications rule, U.S. armies don't suffer that at all. They're just doing. They're just making the straight roll on their uh, whether they're veteran or regular, whatever it is. They don't have any modifiers to it, which is a very nice little handy rule. I think that's a very strong rule for them as well. That's interesting because the military police option in the Battle of the Bulge essentially gave or gives the rule to the other armies that fought in that theater. So uh, maybe they're borrowing a little bit from the other army special rules. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I mean, U.S. The U.S. Army book has had this for a long time, um, and yeah, maybe other the. So, do you say the Battle of the Bulge book had that? Yeah, it. Uh, it but it only applies to vehicles in the Battle of the Bulge book. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. okay. So it's so a scaled like, down version of it. Okay, that's right. Cool. You got because you got traffic cops. Right. right. And okay. I'm never going to say that to an MP's face, but that's what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're basically they 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 just they can out communicate everyone, which I think is kind of cool. Um, so then I think we'll go into HQ now. So we're going to go into a couple of unique aspects of that, unless anyone has anything else about modern communication. I was just going to say, that's a, it's a real good historical flavor, again. Uh, of all the armies involved in World War II, the United States made by far the most use of radios, uh, from infantry units to vehicles. At the start of the war, the French ha- most of the French tanks were still, honest to God, the guy had to climb out of the turret with flags to communicate with another tank. Uh, <laughs> The Germans, smoke signals? They, well, they he literally had little handheld flags. flags, and he would yep. send signals they, that yeah. way. They, they, actually, tanks. they actually mentioned the, the, the signal flags in the flavor text of that particular rule, yeah. too. Yeah, I uh, remember reading that. Runners. Yep. Exactly. And even by the end of the war, I mean, we consider and talk about how the German army was the, was this great, awesome fighting force. I think I read that by near the end of the war, they were still relying on, I think, 60% of their communications was still done through landlines and phones. Which, of nice. course, as you know, is incredibly vulnerable to resistance fighters cutting telegraph wires and phone lines. Right? Yeah, that super easy to get rid of. It's actually funny. I I totally had forgotten about it, but somebody had posted uh, a bunch of colored pictures today of World War II stuff, and they had a they had a wind talker, uh, so a Navajo Indian, Native American uh, picture, and I was like, oh, that'd be awesome to have in a, in a list as your whatever as your second second guy to your lieutenant. I thought that was pretty sweet. Your that's intelligence awesome. officer. Yeah, or your intelligence officer. I was like, dude, that's like somebody's got to do that eventually. That's perfect, actually. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm awesome. going to bring that up. Yeah. I, I think that was, I was like, dang, that's going to be, that'll be perfect. Um, now, before so, we move on, actually, I want to put Jeff on the spot here a little bit. Um, as our historical guy, do you feel like maybe um, from a historical perspective, maybe there's an Army special rule that you could come up with that might that might make sense based off of everything that you know about the American and the army and how they fight? Or do you feel like what they made available actually um, was a really well-rounded way to kind of capture the, the idea of the army? I actually think they did an excellent job at capturing the flavor of the, the United States army in particular for this game. Uh, the, the key things that made the American army, I don't necessarily want to say better than everybody else, but made them very competitive <laughs> in the war is firepower, firepower and more firepower and that's accurately reflected in the move maneuver and fire rule and accurately reflected in the double airstrike rule so i think they okay. really captured the essence which of which he just well. which was going to be in the hq section but yes the so they get us if they bring an air observer they get a second 
air airstrike essentially. Well, let's go into the awesome. HQ section. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's that's essentially the one thing I think in the HQ section that stands out is their air observer gets a second strike, which no one else gets, which makes them, I think, arguably worth their points. Does anyone disagree with that? No, I completely agree with that. I so feel like can they call in two at the same time, or, or what? How does it work? I don't think they get to call two in at the same time because no, because it still costs them an order dice to fire. They have to stand still. Put a fire, get to land a token, the first, so they can do it two turns in a row. The first airstrike has to be resolved before the second one can be called. Right. Okay, so they could they could end up going six turns without getting a second one. But if, they can, if they're anything like my uh, artillery observers, they certainly yeah. can. Well, right. So the, the, it's, it's also interesting to note that while the artillery observers rule changed in version 2 to have a scatter if it came in on them, they didn't do that with the airstrike. Mm. Nice. Okay. The airstrike could also the opponent can pick your friendly unit, you know, could pick the, the, the unit that is getting the result of it. So it's, uh, I think they kind of missed an opportunity there. I, I like the way that they, they entered the deviation with the artillery strike. I just wish they had kind of done the same thing with the airstrike, but they didn't do that. It's a little, I mean, I can understand it's a little different with uh, with uh, airplane flying at stuff, but I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually pretty okay with how the airstrike works in this one. It's fairly accurate that the pilot's going to get directions to a target he's going to identify probably what that target is and he's going to be able to adjust on the way in as much as possible for that for that run so i mean he's going to hit what he's aiming at with within reason it's it's always going to be a unit is kind of what you're saying it's not correct gonna be yeah an open field where he just unloads right yeah he's not going to pick a, he's not going to pick a map coordinate i mean he can see what he's shooting at right now, it might be one of your own units if he screws up and can't identify a target properly or right. gets bad coordinates, but he's going to pick a unit. In Rocky's case, that seems to be quite frequent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's cool. It, I think it's one of the few times, if I were to, if I am actually working on an American Army, it's one of the few times I think it would actually take an air observer just because you get that second opportunity. So it makes that, what, 100 off points actually worthwhile. In my mind, I don't. I don't feel like one shot. I think it is like seventy-five. You're yep, right, seventy-five, somewhere in there. So, so it makes it feel like it's a little more more worthwhile to take. So the, the, the dirty army list runs double platoons with two air observers. Yeah, so you get four of them as long as they all. They like, really do that just to guarantee they're going to get two. Right. Yeah. yeah and essentially. Then, and then the Finnish and Russian sniper ruins your day. Yep. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I. I I don't think there's anything else to really speak of in the HQ department of of the Americans. I don't think anything else stands out. Everything else is pretty standard. Uh, we're so Easy Army has chaplains in the Americans now, which is the only army that actually has it so far, as far as I can tell. I don't know where they're getting that from, so let's not Bat- worry about that. Battle of Bulge Book. Well, right, no, I know they're getting it from that, but I don't know why no one else has gotten it in. They have not in put, Easy Army. They haven't updated any of their force selectors with lists from Battle of the Bulge yet, because the Free French Army isn't up there yet. Okay. So I think they went with the general entry, and they did not give the additional entry for like the Germans or anyone else who has it. Right. Yeah, that's where I was like, I'm like, why has nobody else got any of them but the Americans have? So I'm not worried about that one yet. Um. So next is the infantry selections. I think this is kind of a, there are a couple of things to talk about in here. I think that are kind of cool. Uh, so let's talk about Rangers first. Who wants to give the lowdown on the Rangers? 
okay, I'll do the, I'll, I'll give you the lowdown on the Rangers. The Rangers are one of the few units that have a, a kind of a unique special rule. Uh, their, their special rule is basically if they start the game on the table, they get to make a free run before the game starts. And I think that is super awesome. It's called Rangers Leads the Way, right? Rangers Lead the Way. Yep, that's exactly what it's called. Um, and just getting, and I, just getting to that page, go ahead. Yeah, so I think it's super awesome. Basically, they get a free run before the game starts. They can get essentially halfway up the board, if you're lucky, and they'll get. Hopefully, they'll find a good spot to sit. I'm like, I want Rangers on my list just so I can get them, you know, in that in that nice little spot in the middle of the table and get an ambush early. Are I, Rangers um, always a certain experience level? Are they always veteran? I think they can be a regular vet. Okay, if I remember correctly, veteran only. Veteran only. Okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense. They can. They're pretty good. They're, they're veteran only. And it's also important to note that during that move before turn one. They cannot be targeted by any unit that would be an ambush. There are Correct. certain rules That's, that allow yeah. people to start an ambush at the beginning of the game. Certain certain uh, armies have that ability, but they cannot be targeted by anyone in ambush during that move. I've, yeah, I forgot to mention that. That is a big deal, too. However, on the downside, only one unit, only a unit of rangers can only have one BAR. Yeah, that was my question going to be. So what's, their, what's the loadout available to them? They can have one BAR, and they could also have a light machine gun. And I believe they're one of the very few units that actually can have an LMG in their in their unit. Most of them don't have that capability. Correct. I think they are one of the few that can have them in the but U.S. Army anyway. The LMG is, of course, subject to the move and fire penalty, unlike the BAR and, of course, the aforementioned M1. So, with their special rule of advanced deployment, how do we? What do we see them, or what do we see as their common use for? Um, for their role on the battlefield. Veteran infantry. They'll run up, they'll get on an objective, they'll take it, and they will not let go of it. Okay, there you go. Yeah, and I, I do... We'll get into this a little later. I think they have some other kind of cool, unique uh, unique ideas for them as well. Um, I'm going to go through a couple other ones that I think are kind of intri- intriguing that I think I forgot about talking to you guys with. Uh, so, and I think they're both... Well, one of, them's, one of them is... Uh, I don't think it's a... Ranger unit, but it's the Pathfinder squad, which I think is kind of unique in that it allows you to it, you can take an LZ signals, which allows you to take uh, right, right, takes for, off the penalty for like paratroopers coming and stuff. Paratroopers right? and glider units in reserve yep. don't they get to re they get to re roll order tests in addition to them not taking the modifier, right? Because so, all Americans don't take the modifier, right. so it allows them to re roll reserve rolls, which I think is actually pretty awesome. And I think they, they only come in back. So does one unit of Pathfinders uh, give the rule to every unit you have? Every unit, as long as they're deployed on the table at the game of the, at the, as the game starts. As long as the What's Pathfinder the, is deployed on the table. Right, the Pathfinders have to be on the What's table. What's the minimum size Pathfinder squad? Six-man squad. Yeah, I think uh, it's six. That's not bad. Okay, cool. Yep. 90 points will get you a, a tiny little unit. It lets everything else re-roll, re-roll to come on the table. A virtual guarantee to get your reinforcements in. Yeah, which is pretty awesome. Having failed several reinforcement rolls, I would say yes, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and then and then the other one that I that I there's I think there's several units that are stubborn, but uh, I was looking at the Raiders. The Marine Raiders is another one um, that kind of stand out to me as being a little bit unique because they can have up to three bars, have a boatload of submachine guns. And are also able to have a boatload of shotguns, so they can have like literally everything. Uh, I don't think there's a unit in the actual base book itself that is stubborn in the U.S. book that I'm seeing. Cur- uh, hold on. 
Uh, they're paratroopers, which in most other countries are stubborn, which means... Yeah, I was going to say, are the paratroopers stubborn? The you're late war paratroopers. The, the late war, so, there you go. Uh, okay. A little right. sheet came with your Band of Brothers box set, which I got, that has the rules for late war paratroopers. They are stubborn. Right. Uh, those rules are official, so you can use them. Um, but I think you have to look at the extra units PDF on the Warlord site. Or you look at the veteran... Yeah, or you look at the veteran, veteran selection in Easy Army. Correct. Yep. And again, I think we've cautioned against some of those other those uh, army builders that are out there that you need to have something to back those up to. Yeah, so I, was, I think all that stuff is backed up in the PDF, I believe, but I'm not entirely certain. Well, and the other thing that's interesting, too, is that the, the Rangers lead the way was addressed initially in an FAQ for version 1 as far as what happens to them on a scenario where you, they're coming into the first wave. Do they get their special move? The short answer is yes, but the long answer is that it hasn't really been addressed for version 2. It was only addressed in the FAQ for version 1, and there's nothing in changing the rules that should change that actual ruling or additional FAQ, but it hasn't. there hasn't been an official release for version 2, nor is it covered anywhere in the V2 rulebook. Interesting, actually. I, I kind of, like, as, as someone that was playing around with the idea of Rangers and actually playing them, I thought that that might actually, you know, that rule may not come up as frequently as I would like it to. But if they come on in the first wave and they still get to run, that's insanely good. What, what is addressed in is that um, so you have the obser- you have your observers and uh, your snipers who have the special rule can deploy up to half. Now in scenarios, they specifically say when you come in the first wave, they lose that. In the FAQ for version 1, or yeah, they, they actually said that Rangers do not lose theirs, so they can move on their 6 to 12 inches and then take their Rangers lead the way move. This has not been specifically addressed for version 2, and I can't okay. find anything that contradicts that or rules out. Like I said, you know, it's the same it's the same scenario setup. Why would it be different now just because there's a version 2 rules out? But I'm still looking for something concrete, and if I do, I'll, I'll throw it out there. Yeah, I, we'll, we'll, we'll probably get some clarification. Hopefully we'll run into somebody at Adepticon that may be able to answer these questions. Uh, I, Our buddy Andrew. More, yeah, I, well, actually there's going to be someone, I uh, can't remember who's going to be there. Someone that's actually written some of the books is going to be there, but I can't remember who it is now. I suck and I'm three beers in. So, um, As are we all. Go, go figure. That's a weird uh, name for a guy. What, I, I suck? And I'm three beers in. He's and British. I'm three beers in. That's my last name. Uh, yeah. So who knows? Well, maybe we'll get some clarification around that. Hopefully they'll eventually, I know that there's some talk about a fact coming out for version two, hopefully soon-ish. We'll see. Uh, hopefully, hopefully they'll resolve some of these issues. Otherwise, we'll have to do it on our own. We'll figure it out. All right, so I think the next, I don't think there's anything else infantry-wise that's really unique to the United States. I think one of the big things that we talked about already is the BAR or the BAR, or the Browning Automatic Rifle. That's one of the few unique items for them. Two uh, shots, 30 inches. Yep. Fire for, a penalty. Hoo-yah. For, for pretty hoo-yah. dirt cheap. Yeah, hoorah is right. Five, <laughs> Five points. Five points. Yeah. And you can take anywhere from two to three of them, depending on which type of unit you're taking. Ridiculously good. I, I feel like with their other rules, I think it's a great choice to buy um, as many as you can depending on what you can fit in. But, um, you know, for 10 points, you get an extra two shots with no with no modifiers. I think that's great. I think it's a super good choice. It also doesn't cost you a loader. Right. It doesn't cost you an extra model. That is that is actually a so key if you can component. Get, if you can get 
two in a unit, you're essentially having the same effectiveness of, a, of an LMG, even though the LMG is 36 and the BAR is only 30 inches, but you can move six at no penalty, so you kind of overcome right. that. Yep, you get to still move and shoot, so you're kind of you're kind of at an advantage almost, which is pretty awesome. Uh, the Marines get a couple other special weapons. I think it's kind of worth talking about. Uh, they they get shotguns, which I don't think anyone else gets in the game. Um, as far as I know, no one else gets in the game. Only exists in their entry. I haven't seen anywhere yeah, else. Yeah, I haven't seen anywhere else either. Um, which is which is a one-shot assault weapon, 18-inch range. Uh, so it's mildly... It's just different. It's just another choice to take. I think it costs you a couple points, three points to put in a unit. Uh, kind of unique to the Marines. It's kind of cool. Can't think of anything else that they have that's that's super unique. Everyone else has just got the standard rifle, but they get to move and shoot with that rifle. So why would you take anything else? Shotgun is a plus three upgrade, a point, a three point upgrade. Sorry. Right, correct. But it, it and it has assault, but it doesn't. Yep. Which it's eighteen. Which is kind of like doesn't mean anything because they move and shoot without penalty anyway. So well, that's not a grand, but yeah, true. But Actually, assault, that's a good point. The assaults in the close combat where they get the extra dice to do so it's. That's allows it. you to take the shotgun and still get that non-modifier. It's a it's a long-range pistol as far as game effects are concerned. Right. Yeah, I don't, that, but that assault it has the assault rule, which makes you a tough fighter. Right, and it, and it does negate that minus one, so you don't have to take the minus one. That's right. almost like which, a double, double Which is what makes better. it better than a grand, because a grand does not give you tough fighter. Right, correct. It does not give you tough fighter. So it actually gives you the assault rule, which is what it, the U.S. rule does not give you assault. This weapon does give you assault. So, yeah, and that's, I'm, I'm building out a Marine list right now, and I do have a unit that's like chocked full of SMGs and shotguns just to, you know, drive a truck up into someone's face and blast them out of the water with that one unit, which would be fun. But someone will hate me for it, I'm sure. All right. Uh, so that I think it covers all the eight, all the squad units. I think another unique aspect of this is some of their team abilities or their infantry support units, because I believe in their reinforced platoon, do they get three machine guns? Is that what I'm understanding correctly? They do. They actually are allowed to see. The, actually, the rules actually read they can take up to three MMG as a one slot choice. So, yes, they're allowed zero three. Did anyone else hear that really loud bang in my house? No. Okay, I'll be right back. Hold on a second. Sorry, I, something I, I just did. happened. Yeah, I heard Something it. just happened in my house. Hold on a second. Well, that's not good. Well, no dead time here. So the cool thing about the three machine gun rule is it's actually very flavorful. Uh, American doctrine, unlike most other armies, was not to include the light machine guns in squad level. Rather, have them at, at uh, company level as support units that came down. So it's very flavorful to have those three medium machine guns um, be outside the infantry squads. So it's a concentration of firepower. So is the is the uh, benefit just that they can take three within one unit selector, or is there a discounted uh, discounted points or anything like that? Just that they can take three in one unit selector. Okay. Uh, and it, the idea is, of course, it frees up your infantry squads to not have to take them uh, and to take BARs instead. And I've, I've, I've often said that the uh, the MMG is a very under uh, what's the rec- under rules piece. I mean, it had so much more actual impact than they actually give it to the game. I mean, it's fifty points, gives you five dice, thirty six inch range, not too bad. But that's what really they were used for is more to just like suppressive fire to keep down 
uh, infantry units from moving through lanes of fire. And I, I think they kind of missed a lot of good opportunities to really make this piece a lot more historically of what it was actually used for. I think we've, I think Jeff and I have talked about this before. It'd be really nice that if the MMG did D two pins, or at least always began every round in ambush. Yeah. I was actually just thinking that. What if you just let them, whenever they decided to pull their dice, pull their dice and shoot? Yep. Um, to borrow from another game we're familiar with, I, I also wouldn't mind the, uh, something comparable to Suppression from Infinity, where if any unit that's being aimed at by an MMG... Just got shot. You could suppress it, and then they you treat them like they have a pin on them, even if they don't. So it makes you have to take an order test, even if it doesn't have pins. Oh, so automatic pin, whether you hit or miss. Right. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, I really like that rule. That's cool. I mean, that's that's kind of how they are used. I mean, they just, a lot of times they were just firing in the general vicinity of wherever the enemy might have been thought to be and not worrying about what cover was or what the scenarios for the hit. They just were just putting down lead. I mean, if you think about it, if you added that one change to the existing MMG, same points cost, same everything else, but they always put a pin on the unit if they even if they missed, that makes it a lot more interesting as a, as a choice. Huh. Yep, I think it makes it almost... You'd see MMGs appear more often than they do. You might see one in one of my lists, which usually in most cases I, I don't put them in there. I'd, I'd rather have I have it in the mortar just for the simple fact of at least it has a chance of making somebody want to move in case you might hit them next time. Yeah, I've seen. Don't have any. I've seen that mortar do do a lot of work in the in my recent games. So that's an, that's an understatement. <laughs> oh man! Again, the mortar is not about the first shot; it's about the second shot. But if you look at the mini machine gun, it should be about what the first shot is doing to affect those that is targeting. That is totally true. I have always felt like MMGs in this game are a little underpowered, but what do I know? And I even play Germans. Well, that's saying something right there. I know. I do like it on a motorcycle all of a sudden. It seems really good. I don't know what what I've been thinking this whole time. Uh, Anything else about teams? I don't feel like there's anything else supremely unique. I I feel like there might be one of their... They get HMGs, which most people... I don't think they get. Is that right? I haven't seen a lot of entries for heavy machine guns as far as teams are concerned. You usually see them on vehicles. I do think that they do get. They do have the HMG option. I do feel like that breaks. Doesn't that break their zero three option though? Oh, they take an HMG. Yes, it, it, it's in the same team selector. Right. Of course, so I think you get one or one or three is essentially what happens. Right? The, the heavy, at least, has the capability of putting pins on. On, on armored vehicles because it is a yeah. heavy weapon. And it's plus two pen, but it's a couple shots less. Three shots and a plus one pen yep. for an HMG. But the, I think that the only ones actually get it as a team. And I think the other, Correct. And, you know, I don't see those a lot being played. I, in fact, I've never seen one being played or even read a list <laughs> that someone played one because, I don't know. I've seen a couple on a unit, and it was still an American army. I, I see them more in vehicles, and that it seems like yep. a better place to put them. The other thing that I see in their teams is the, the bazooka, which is, uh, I, I kind of suffer a little anti-tank envy when I see these type of things. Yeah, I feel like that's a, a super good one. 60 points for a regular unit, which I think is on par with the the Panzer Shrek, which is 80 points. Yep. 24 inch, I think they're a plus 5 versus Panzer Shrek a plus 6 pen. Does that sound right? Correct. That's, uh, I think the Panzer Shrek's plus 7, but I don't... Yeah, yeah. It, the Panzer Shrek's awesome, but it's 80 points for a regular versus uh, 
what is that? Like, the bazooka is a, a sixty point regular. Yeah, it's it's a couple points cheaper, but it's the you're it's a little different. As you, as you hear in my army this later, is it, you know if you're playing Americans and you have the option, put a bazooka team in reserve with a jeep. Gives you almost yeah. a half the table uh, to react against the tank and probably gets flank. Ooh, that rhymes. <laughs> I, I'm going to throw another one out there, another unique team that I think that's kind of cool for them is their uh, the Marine Corps War Dog team. I think it's an awesome choice. Uh, maybe take only one of them for 18 points. You get a you get a dice for 18 points. They get Tough Fighter, which who cares about because it's only two models. Uh, but it does spot any, it, so it's got spotting. Hidden units with, are revealed within 24 inches of them. It's got spotting. Right. <laughs> yeah, the dog's got spotting. It's a German Shepherd, most likely. But I, I feel like it's like, it's kind of cool because it, it, it does reveals hidden, right? It reveals hidden hiddens. Unit. Yep. Any hidden units within 24 inches of them, which is like a lot. And it, it, it plays a role in a lot of scenarios in tournament play where there are some units that will start in hidden. So I think it's kind of a cool, unique, uh, unique little unit, and it's also a pretty dirt cheap dice. So I don't know. That was one of the other few that I saw that I was like, "Dang!" I'm like, "That's kind of cool." Now I'm seeing a land mattress. What the hell is a land mattress? Is that Jeff, big, what's a land mattress? Come is that on, the big man. bang in the house you had, or <laughs> no? That was my wife dropping a bunch of pictures on the floor or something. Dropping the beat. Hang on, I'm Googling this so I have the, the right thing. Okay, so the land mattress is like, uh, uh, how do I describe this? Hey, for you, uh, for you uh, Warhammer fans out there, it's like a Hellstorm rocket battery, basically. It's a, it's a towed array with a whole hell of a lot of little rockets on it. It's like the Howling Cow. Yeah, except the rockets aren't as big, but there's more of them. So it's so, like strapping a bunch of bottle rockets together? Like a spray and pray sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it'll pick an area, coat it, and it'll just drop a whole lot of explosives on it. All right, okay. Cheap-ish. Ish. It's a Ish. multiple launcher, I believe, in the rules, correct? Correct. So it never hits a better than a six. Correct. And it also can devastate units within six inches of the target. That's That's the... Down or the upswing to that whole yep. never hitting a better. If you're six, really but... good at rolling sixes, which apparently I only <laughs> I'm only uh, good at doing that against Russian NCOs. Well, it's... right. So, but as far as I understand, a multiple launcher. You, if you hit the first unit, it hits every unit within six inches. If you roll, yep, yep. If you roll that six, you're like hell yeah, I'm going to hit all the units around it. But it, it doesn't it doesn't have that, that two plus zeroing in. It's always a no. six plus. But it is right. hilarious to shoot it at a building. Because oh, it still only hits on a six, but whatever. But it hits everybody within six inches of the building. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good point. Yeah. If somebody's hiding behind the building, they're going to get blown. Or in a building adjacent. And it's a three-inch plus three pen and D three pins. It's kind of, kind of not awful. Yeah. So you know, you find yourself a nice, you find yourself a nice city block that's got like I don't know fifty Russians in it and five buildings. Pick the middle building, roll yourself a six, and watch the fireworks. Barf. Sounds great. Kill those Ruskies. All right. Uh, artillery. There's nothing in artillery that's special. You should take some anyway, but there's nothing. They don't have anything that's yeah, super you can see spectacular. Yeah, about artillery. We, yep. they, they got the same stuff, same options. They got, they got the heavy, the, the, the light, the medium, the heavy of everything. That's pretty much all you have to know about them. Uh, you, can, you can do whatever you want with that. 
so then we can get into the vehicles. I think the vehicles are kind of one of the few areas that they shine. They gave a lot of vehicles away to other other countries, if I understand correctly. Anybody who wanted to kill Germans, they gave vehicles to. It's the Oprah effect. Yes. You get a Sherman. You get a Sherman. You get a Sherman. <laughs> the British said, hey, you know what? We'll take your Sherman. It needs a bigger gun, okay? So we're going to put a bigger gun on it, right? That's when they put the the big, uh, what is that? The... That'd be the Firefly. The, yeah, the Firefly. They, they got... put their 17-pounder on the uh, the Sherman the Sherman 5. Right. Still, was that was that one easy to catch fire? No, that one no, did they, not they have thin that out to catch fire. It was, the, it was towards the end of the war. It was kind of their pinnacle piece. They did have to remove the medium machine gun from the – so it basically has has the the 17-pounder and the coaxial medium machine gun, but they had to remove the, the hull-mounted MMG and put some counterweights on the turret. But it could finally put a hole in one of those big German they tanks. Could, yeah. They could hit the kitties. Well, plus 7 pen, it finally did something to the yeah. big things. Yeah. But yeah, that's but only British, so we're talking about Americans here. So Americans never actually got that one. It was only a Sher- it was only a the Sherman that went over to the the British in particular. The I think the big primary one for the Americans was the M four. Is that right, Jeff? Seventy six millimeter or the seventy five? One oh five? Seventy five, one oh five, I think the two um, big models. <laughs> right. So they the standard Sherman came with your seventy five millimeter gun, which they liked because it had an excellent high explosive round, which was good at killing infantry. Uh, when they started to realize that tanks were, in fact, probably going to have to fight other tanks in this war, they upgraded that to the 76mm gun, which had uh, better penetrating power. Still not anywhere near a Firefly, but, you know, you could have a chance of putting a hole in a Panzer IV, at least, rather than just watching your shells bounce off of it. Uh, and then, get uh, I don't know that we ever upgunned anything above a 76 on a Sherman. Uh, real late in the war, we rolled out the Pershing, which had... Uh, I think that was a 90-millimeter gun on it, standard, which that'll put a hole in anything that was on the battlefield back then. So the Sherman never really evolved behind the, beyond the 76. The 105 on the Sherman, that's a demo, demolitions tank. So you use that one to drive up when they're in a pillbox, and you put a 105 high-explosive round into that pillbox, and no more pillbox. So that's a demo tank for our purposes. Fair enough. They also did a whole bunch of stuff with the uh, the Stuarts, the light tank brigades. They actually like made a focus of running them and, and actually did light tank teams for. I think they're more geared for speed than the, the Shermans were, though. And they had, uh, of course, lighter armor, lighter firepower, but extreme extremely fast for a tank at that time. Which of course really, wasn't reflected really in the rules. Still no, in the rules. So a couple things they missed, kind of in the rules uh, for speed for the Americans. The, the stewards don't get any special rule. The one in the rules for the Americans that really should have a special rule for speed is the Hellcat um, tank destroyer, the M18, because that tank is notor- tank destroyer is notoriously fast. I'm 99% sure on an open Autobahn road you could get that up to 60 miles an hour, which is ridiculous for a tracked vehicle. Well, I think Probably that- would... The high speed, the, yeah, the high speed for almost any tank was like 35 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that probably ripped the shit out of the road, though. Well, it's a German road, so we don't care. Yeah, who cares? Yeah, good but point. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair when enough. you want to reposition in a hurry, that's that's your that's your boy. Uh, so I think that let's go into the couple rules that actually matter. So we've talked about the 75 millimeter M4 Sherman, essentially the the standard uh, for the U.S. Uh, so in the rules in the game. Uh, it has the easily catch fire rule, which is bad. 
don't 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 take it if you can. Well, just uh, don't get shot at. You're okay. <laughs> don't get shot at. There's also there are also I think you can also take it as a can't you can cancel it. So I at there's, some point they did something to the tank that makes it go away. Yeah, there's the different point levels of the Sherman that you can you can cancel it for roughly ten points. And they also had the thin sides rule in the earlier models, yep. which instead yep. of a plus one for the side, they they suffer a plus two pen against for for those thin sides. But there's other versions that of course cancel it out. Correct. Yeah. So and then the other rule that applies to I don't know if it's all their tanks or if it's just the Shermans is the the, the gyro stabilized uh, gun, which means they don't suffer the minus one to hit. It's kind of like their other army rule. Uh, so they don't, as long as they're a veteran, they don't suffer the minus one to hit for moving and shooting. There's your big um, difference. Yeah, the veteran tanks. Yep, are the only ones, and it's I, I think it, it spreads across most of them. There's very few that don't, but I know for sure the Shermans and the Stuarts also always have that gyro stabilization, which if you take them as a veteran, which is kind of a big point jump compared to some of the other units, that you it don't is. suffer that. It definitely is. Uh, I lost the Pershing, so I was going to go look at the Pershing and see if you get it for that too. Oh, Chaffee. Oh, sorry. Everyone sorry. likes to take a Chaffee. Oh, yeah, even they get the, the gyro stabilized. 100, 150 they get the gyro stabilized. Holy cow. For 484 points, it's only a, it's only a almost 100 point upgrade to go to veteran on the Pershing. But uh, yeah, you can you can get the no minus one to hit. And really, where where do you where do you put that point value? that it's excited about really. It's not that good, but well, it's still wow. Well, that's kind a of no a big movement, deal. It's a no movement penalty on a super heavy anti tank gun, so that's pretty awesome. And all you have to that deal is a big deal. Is, all you have to deal with for damaging is if you're over half range or not. If you have that minus one. As far as damaging is concerned, yeah. So it's either you're hitting on a three or you're hitting on a four, all almost all the time. That's pretty good. Uh, it might be worth it. Who knows? Uh, eventually, I'll I'll figure that out. I'm not there yet. Um, what's next? Vehicles? Uh, do we let's let's go into theaters next. Let's let's talk about the theaters, Jeff, because I think there are a lot of there there are some s- spots where where the U.S. played a significant role. Um, you know like the Pacific and, you know, the Rangers did quite a bit too. But, um, yeah, as far as the books go, why don't we talk about that? I don't I don't have a lot in as far as the outline goes as to what, what we want to talk about in that area. Well, I cover it real basically. The fun thing about the U.S., again, is I felt they did a very good job of catching the historical flavor for the United States Army. In particular, I know our American players have grumbled a little bit because their earliest list in the book is Operation Torch, which is the landings in Africa. Uh, and all of their infantry, other than the engineers, are inexperienced, which is very historically accurate. The United States was uh, had a very small standing army prior to World War II, so most of the guys that are in the army at this point uh, are not trained to the highest levels, and they certainly haven't seen any combat. So they're pretty, they're pretty well inexperienced, <laughs> reflected in the rules coming ashore. And Africa is really you know, our baptism by fire and blood, if you want to call it that, where we learned an awful lot of lessons about how maybe our organizational skills weren't up to snuff and how our tactics weren't as good as we maybe thought they were. So we learned an awful lot in the Africa campaign. It was a good tune-up before we moved into Sicily and Italy, where you'll notice the selector starts allowing you to take better troops including some airborne troops that become become available at that time who are who are very good. Uh, by the time the United States invades France uh, on D-Day, 
you have a, a wide range of selectors for veteran troops by that point because most of the many of the troops had seen some combat. Although there's plenty of inexperienced draftees still coming into the army at that point. So the theater selector, I think, does an excellent job of, of giving you that flavor if you want it in the military history. I saw that many of the many of the divisions saw like a 100 to 200 percent replacement. In the fact, the veterans that survived that didn't even learn the first names of the new recruits coming in because they're pretty sure they'd be dead in a week anyway. Yeah, there's, so there's a real interesting stati- there's a lot of interesting statistics that come out of World War II, but one of them is I forget if it's 30 or 60 days, but when soldiers had survived 30 to 60 days somewhere in that spread of combat, uh, their casualty rates among 30 to 60 day survivors decreased dramatically. So those guys seldom were ever wounded after that or taken as casualties after that point. Whereas the green guys coming in, the rookies who haven't learned how to move yet or when to keep their head down and when not to light a cigarette or when maybe not to silhouette yourself against the setting sun, those guys take heavy casualties, which is part of the reason, like Pat was saying, they didn't even want to learn their names because they were pretty sure they were dead. Do you know if that statistic plays out for both sides or if it was just for the U.S.? To the best of my knowledge, that statistic plays out for both sides, although until Berlin there aren't a ton of green troops. Well, that's not true. There are plenty of green troops in the German army towards the middle end of the war. Um, I don't I can't guarantee that statistic for the Germans, but I would assume that that will hold true across all armies. Yeah, that's it's just an interesting like because early war, how would how would even like the German soldiers that are considered veteran actually know those things without actually being involved in a fight, firefight? You know. Ooh, I'll raise my hand on that Spanish Civil War. Oh, uh, all right, okay. Germans, the Germans actually were probably the well, not probably were the most prepared at the start of World War Two. Well, right, they had to be. Yes. <laughs> they kind of started it, so... Yeah, they, they started it. It's kind of like, hey, you know what? We're going to play football. Tell you what, I got a team right here. What do you got? Oh, what? You're not ready to play football? Oh, sorry, we're playing. We win. <laughs> until until they figured out, like, oh, we can put helmets on and right. then, yes. then right. things change. It, 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 duck cups yeah. and things like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't put it past the Germans to hit you in the nuts. <laughs> not to offend the Germans that might be listening. Uh, no offense, they were assholes during the war. It's, they they know that they they don't they don't care anymore. It, it's history, right? They're not those people anymore. I've met lots of Germans now, and they're all pretty great people. They're very happy, and they like to drink beer. So I'm happy. Sounds like it. Yeah. No, I'm I'm good now. Uh, okay, so we're still talking about theaters. Do we want to hit any more of them? Um, uh, I don't know if there's any specific questions. The Pacific Theater, of course. Uh, I'll, I'll throw out one fun fact with the specific selector is it doesn't just have to be Marines. The Army actually played uh, a non-trivial role in the Pacific War as well. So you can have a mix of uh, Army units and Marine units, which is pretty fun. Cool. All right. Yeah, and I, I've been doing a little research on that because I've been actually playing around with the idea of having a Marine Army. And I feel like it is uh, one of the few times you can – you can intermingle because the Marines actually fought on mainland, even though people don't really realize that uh, they had some role on in Europe, not just in the Pacific. So keep that in mind when you're making your lists. So I am going to jump feel, in here real don't quick. Feel. I um I played Rocky um, not last week, but the week before, and Rocky is our our, our American player, one of our American players. And, and so I was asking him about, you know, his army list, what he's thinking about doing, all this kind of stuff. And Rocky, um, I don't know if the rest of you guys know, he served in the Navy for a while. And um, he said, 
you know, he'll, you know, he's really excited about it and he'll, he'll try to get as much as he can of everything, except he's never, he's never going to get any Marines. He's never going to play any Marines. I'm like, why? He goes, I was in the Navy. And so I don't, I guess I don't understand what, what's going on there exactly. My ass rides in Navy equipment is what the Navy says about the Marines. <laughs> okay. Having yeah. a sister who was, who was in the Navy and I, I've known Rocky for well before he went into the Navy. Uh, yes, that's exactly that's exactly the, re- the the reputation they have between those. You know what? All you guys are good for is get me there, and I do the real work. We're like, uh, no, we're the ones who have our big guns are bombing the crap of these people before you even get there. We've killed half of them before you ever show up. Yeah. So yes, Marine stands weird... for my ass rides and Navy equipment. My sister told me that, and I just laughed my ass off. It's a little in, inter service rivalries are always yeah. Yep, well, and there was some there was some politics playing in World War Two where. You know, they didn't think the Navy should have infantry units, and they also didn't think the Navy should have Air Force units. You know, like, it was this weird, there was a lot of political shit going on there, wasn't there? Like, I, as far as I understand, it was kind of a weird, everyone wanted their, their peace, yeah. but they didn't want, they were like, we're better Navy, than you, go, you can't yeah. do this without us. And that's, yeah. Navy, Every go over and deal with the Pacific. Yeah, like, so, whatever. I mean, I'm playing the Marines, and I'm going to bring Marines because why would you not? In in bolt action, it's a little different game. So I Rocky games. actually being in a navy, I can understand a little holdover. All right, I just I didn't understand. I knew I know about the um, the inter-service rivalries and things like that. And even the Japanese book mentions you know the special naval landing force versus the Imperial Japanese Army and kind of the back and forth there. I just you know not having served personally. Um, and not being close to my relatives who have, I never picked up on how far that might or, or does actually go. So I, I thought that was funny. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a big deal to the Navy guys. I mean, the, even the, you know, Navy versus army and all that stuff is a big deal still to an extent. I think, I think all of our armed forces are in agreement though, that, you know, it's for the better of our country or whatever. So they might have some political rivalry there, but it's not a, it's not they all, they're all for the betterment of our country at this point. Yeah, the best can hope for this day is the Army-Navy football game that happens every year. Right, you know, yeah, it's a big deal. Uh, uh, so I think the next thing we're going to go into, and I think this kind of leads right into that, because, it, well, it's not Marines, it's actually the Rangers. But uh, So we got a Facebook question about, you know, when we were talking about we're going to start going into these Army-specific ones. Uh, let's let's go into John's question here. So he's a, he's a new player. He's, uh, he really wants to do the rain. Uh, he plays the Rangers and the airborne veterans. Uh, he's at a loss of, he's, he, he feels like he's risking a loss against armor, not playing any tanks. Uh, cause obviously that doesn't make sense for a Ranger glider force. Uh, using, using a Jeep as a glider transport, what weapon should I recommend or a tow or should I use the points to bring a bazooka team? Uh, so basically he's basically saying, how do I make a Ranger force work? and be able to take out anti-armor. That's essentially what I think he's getting at. Uh, so, John, I think you should absolutely bring a bazooka, whether or not you put it in a Jeep. Uh, that's uh, that's up to you. Maybe you should bring a Jeep anyway, just to see what happens, because I think you can drag on a light tow with a Jeep, correct? Uh, who knows? Yeah, you, yep. you can, yeah, you can bring on a light anti-tank. Yeah. Or light I, they can push themselves on the table if you really need to. Yep. But... You know, an anti a light anti tank weapon or or artillery piece is still within theme of a glider ranger force. They'd still be able to drop a, a light artillery piece. Um, 
I think I even maybe mentioned this, or I, maybe I chatted with you before about this, but I, like for me, those you those ranger units that have the ranger lead the way, I might give anti tank because they're going to be so far up the damn board that you might be able to get that good tank assault off. And the tank assault again, just taking the anti tank allows you to uh, not find this, not face the minus three penalty for tank fear when charging to destroy a tank. Correct. Which is a big deal. Like you'll actually minus maybe three succeed. is pretty huge because that's cumulative yeah. with any pins you might have. Yeah. So I I feel like you're gonna suffer if you want to play in theme on the whole Ranger Airborne. Uh, without any kind of without any kind of tank backup, you're you're going to suffer. It's, there's no doubt about it. But I do feel like, yeah, if you bring if you bring a, a bazooka, which you absolutely should bring a bazooka, because why would you not? You have to bring a bazooka with a ranger force. Um, and then you bring some anti tank, and then you bring in a, a light artillery piece. Can you get a medium? I don't I don't know if you can get a medium. Uh, it will not tow. It will not tow. Which yeah, it probably means it went to glided in. Which well, would make it kind the, the of the light anti tank is still going to be plus five, plus four, plus, plus five, four, plus four. four. So, I think well, light anti tank might be plus five, but it, it's still going to give you a chance. The bazooka is going to be yeah. plus five. I look at I look at that list and say you have to be kind of you're going to be spread out. You're going to have to have multiple choices that take out. Uh, so you're going to have redundancy built in that list if you want to get out the if you want to take out armor, right? Um, so an, a light anti-tank is plus four. Uh, so I feel like it, with John's list that he's trying to go with, you're going to have to build in redundancy. So you're going to have to have a bazooka. You're going to have to have a light anti-tank. And you're probably going to have to have one or two units that have anti-tank capability just to be able to take out all the armor that you know your opponent may take. That's that's where I think I'm going to leave that. I don't know if anyone else has any thoughts about that. I actually have a very good suggestion for you to think a little bit uh, sidestepping the box here. Uh, you have a mostly infantry force. If you want to stay with a fully infantry theme and not even bother with it, bringing the light anti-tank gun, I I don't know how well that's going to function for you. The 37 millimeter is already obsolete by that point in the war anyway. So right. instead, I'm going to tell you, bring the bazooka, bring one squad with anti-tank grenades, and bring yourself a flamethrower. Because if you get close to a tank it. with that flamethrower, <laughs> oh, it's not just pinning it, because it's going to have to take a test. With those pins oh, on yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. if they fail that test, they bail out of the tank. The they jump because they're on fire, yeah. Yep. All right, okay. So hit it with the flamethrower. Sure. So you can either take, uh, I don't know if they, the they Rangers have an option for an assault squad or if you Engineering have to squad take is up to eight men that can have a flamethrower or they can be there you a go. standalone to right. a two-man. I'm, I'm in and, with that. And That's every force, including the Rangers, have dedicated engineering units within their structure. Right, so they have an engineering assault squad. Yep. So, and, and that that's actually a great option. Good call. So, John, bring a flamethrower. There you go. And a bazooka, because and, why would Well, because yeah, why would you not bring a bazooka? Because it's, it's not a one-use item. It's great. And bazookas are awesome with a shape charge. They beat the crap out of the Piat team, which Hell is the yeah, same thing at, tw- yeah. at 12 inches. Really? Yeah. 12 inches? Good grief. <laughs> well... Welcome to Panzerfausts. Uh, all That's right. why I want to play Finland. <laughs> At least they get them. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So I think that I think that answers John's question. I th- hopefully that gives you enough. John, if that doesn't give you enough, email us or uh, post on Facebook again. Again, if you have any other questions, we're going to be going through all of the different books. Uh, so you can post it on the Facebook. 
Uh, our Facebook is the Snafu Podcast, or you can post it on Twitter too, which is this, at the Snafu Podcast. Um, so I, I mentioned before that I had a, a kind of a, a, a thing to, to surprise. Uh, so I actually asked each of the other guys to post, or not post, but to put together a list, and I kind of like caveated it to what they're good at. Uh, so like I, I asked Jeff to make a historically relevant list. So that, so basically I asked them to make a list, a thousand point list that was relevant to something I thought that they were good at. Uh, so Jeff being our historical, historically relevant guy, our, he's not a river counter, but I think, you know, if I made him be a river counter, this is what I think he would do. Uh, I went through each, I asked them each to make a list around their specific uh, strength. So why don't we start with you, Jeff, since we, I've already mentioned your name. Uh, historically relevant list. I don't think you have to go necessarily through every aspect of your list. Um, but if you were going to make a thousand point list, what historical element would you make to make that list cool? Well, I think anybody out there is going to really like to base their list off a of, uh, movie or TV show they saw. So making an airborne list off a of band of brothers or a Pacific list off of the Pacific TV series is t- or a ranger list off of Saving Private Ryan. All of those things are going to be really cool. Uh, I took a slightly different bent for something we seldom talk about in U.S. history courses. Uh, and my historical list is based around Operation Torch, which is the landings of North Africa. The very first uh, U.S. military encounters in the European-slash-Africa theater of operations. Uh, this list selector course is filled with inexperienced infantry, which some people are going to immediately throw up their hands and say, I don't want to play that. But you should try it because it's really fun because you get a lot of troops this way. So in my list that I threw together, I have a second lieutenant leading the force who's regular. Reason for that being the officer corps and the corps of the U.S. military was actually fairly well trained at the start of the war. Uh, They were the holdovers in what little military we actually had in the interwar period. It also brings uh, three inexperienced infantry squads fully loaded with their BARs because they're fresh off the boat and fresh out of training. So they got the full 12 squads, they bring in the BARs, they got the NCOs with rifles and everything. We bring one forward air observer coordinating with the Navy for pinpoint airstrikes if they need them. And then we bring all the firepower we can, which is three medium machine gun teams, all of them inexperienced because we're keeping with the theme here, two medium mortar teams, which is allowed in the selector. Uh, so now you have two, and this is the one time no one should complain about you having an inexperienced mortar because it's very flavorful with all the other inexperienced troops. And then bring yourself a bazooka team, which is an inexperienced. That's the only one that's a little questionable on this list. I can't be sure that the bazooka was available immediately at the Operation Torch landing. It's in the selector, but I'm a little iffy if we actually had them at the start of that operation or if we started equipping our troops with them a little bit later in that campaign. Not sure on that. It's in the selector. It seems early, but yeah. I agree. It seems a little early. I thought the bazooka was kind of defined off of the the need of the, the, the range deficiency of the Piat team. Right, but we've learned from that experience. I mean, it wasn't like the British hadn't been fighting for two years prior to this. This is a 1942 list. Sure. Okay, right. Yep, yep. Right. Yeah, so, it, it still seems early, but whatever. I agree. It seems a little early, but it's in the selector list. And like we just told them, I never pass up a bazooka if it's in the list. Why would you? Well, Why if it's would in the you? book, it's, it must be it's right. A cheap, it's, a cheap, it's a cheap dice. <laughs> it's a really cheap dice, and it's really good if you can get with it. Yes, it's very uh, And then good. we're bringing an armored car, an M3 white scout car, which... For anyone that doesn't know, basically looks like a, an M5 half-track, except it's got wheels instead of tracks. With It comes standard with your beautiful Ma Deuce heavy machine gun on top. Awesome choice. 
I, I'm a big fan. Yes. And then for flavor and fun, we're bringing an M3 Lee, M3 Lee medium tank. Uh, it's got a 75 in the hull. It's got a cupola-mounted medium machine gun, a turret-mounted light anti-tank gun, and a coaxial medium machine gun. Which can, like, only shoot right, right? One of them can only, like, shoot to the right arc. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, the, the medium the anti-tank part. gun, right, it's mounted in the right half of the hull. So, <laughs> and it can only turn one way. Right. So for game purposes, you can just shoot to the front. In real yeah, life, your, your left traverse in that was severely limited. Yeah. So you kind of had to turn the whole tank at an angle, which but actually isn't always a bad idea either. That also, would have been, that also would have been like a heavy tank in the Japanese army too, right? Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. fun story for some reading. The British, I believe, got to use quite a few of these in the India campaign against the Japanese. They kept the Japanese out of India. Was that the M3? Yes. Well, I think it was the uh, the Grant, the the British version of it. Oh, right, right, so right, sure, sure, sure. Yep, yep. We exported a number to Great Britain. They put a slightly larger turret on the top of it. Uh, but the the armament is effectively the same. Seems still, to do that a lot with American tanks. They still do. weird. Your gun ain't big enough. Let's 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 do that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. The they British were compensating for something somewhere. Well, they're right, wondering right. what you we're got doing. Got a good idea here, but can we make it louder? <laughs> you can we put it. it to eleven? Put it up to eleven. But it's a it's a it's a beautiful tank. It's flavorful. You don't see too many with all the Shermans that get spammed in the world. So. I'm a big fan of the, the Lee Grants. Yeah, it's got it's got a lot of it, it's in game. It, it's kind of cool with the whole you know the. It's got lots of extra guns yeah. and shit on it. It's pretty and the sweet. best and the best thing about bolt action, and I know some people will disagree with me here, bolt action makes units that were historically marginal, game wise, very good. Correct. Better than the really good, awesome units being really awesomely good. They are, they're kind of all marginalized in the game too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of homogenization towards the center, which yeah. I know some people will hate, but I like it because it allows you to have some fun and some flavor with your armies. Yeah, and it, well, in, 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 in game terms, it makes it so every game is more even. Everyone's not, they're not min-maxing, per se. Right. You know, you aren't grabbing that really awesome thing because it's so much better than everything else in your army. You can see episode three about our definition of min-maxing. <laughs> They're gonna, we're gonna just addendum every episode with the previous episode. Yeah, that makes sense. No, that's I, wait, wait. That's what's what's totally an cool. index? Uh, there's no such thing. Right, they don't do those. Yeah, no, no. Why would we do those? Is there? I'm sorry, Jeff. I didn't mean to cut you off. Is there anything oh. else in your list that's totally... no, no? That that covers top to bottom. That comes out to exactly 1,000 points. Well done. Very cool. Awesome. All right. Uh, so I think I'm gonna save Dale's for last because I think Dale's gonna blow the most minds. Pat, what do you got for us? Oh, he, this is the kid that didn't do his homework. No, no, I'm not even going to be surprising on this one. I'm just going to be right up front in your face. Okay, all right. First, okay. first Lou with a bodyguard, no surprise. So um, are you doing Are you doing a theme or Marines versus Air Force or, or Rangers or what? what? I, I, I'm doing what I can put on the table to give, you, give me the most all right, firepower so you're using, to just destroy you. Okay, so you're using the the reinforced platoon. Yep. So so I sorry, I should probably say this. So I gave Pat the tourney list. So what would you bring to a tournament to make it work the best to your advantage? And I kind of went with what in the hell do I want to not see on the table that I can't deal with? Did you say Nazi in there? Yeah, because I'm playing British. I'm not playing Americans. Right. So, what so I, you didn't like the Nazis. As I sit down at all. the table, what do I not want to see them put out and just go? Right. The, the Nazis, yeah. Crap or the Ike Caramba. So 
Uh, I don't think the Mexicans were involved in this. Uh, well, ask Jeff about that when I have an idea. Uh, it was a world war. I'm sure they did something. They, I'm sure they were giving us stuff or something. Yeah. Anyway. But so basically, here's the gist: you got a first lieutenant, the bodyguard. You've got the air observer on his own. Just hope to God he survives long to do something. One and platoon. Four, uh, the reinforced platoon. So, so a single platoon, though, right? Correct. Single, You're not doing more than one. I no. That's a whole different topic altogether. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. The, that's the dirty list. Assuming one platoon for all of these tournament lists. Yep, Sing, single platoon, and then you run four veteran U.S. Marine squads of eight men with three BAR, BARs each. Arf, okay. Dirty, 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 dirty. Yep, yeah, sounds one for great. each of them. And, yep. of course, your bazooka team hold in reserve with the Jeep so they can reinforce whatever you want to. And whatever yep. points left left over, get whatever M4 if you can if you can get rid of some of the uh, some of the deficiencies to it, but... Don't worry about that too much because that's more of your anti-tank with the bazooka team and let it sit back and just deal. You know, let it sit in the background and just let those let those uh, Marines just do their job because with three BARs each, they're putting much so much firepower down. You know, they're, they're, you're talking like, let's see, six, eight, 14, 14, 16 shots per squad at the 30, 24-inch range. I mean, yuck. And at veterans, they're not going to be moved off whatever you put them on. Try try eleven, but still, it depends right? on the math. <laughs> My math might be fuzzy at this point, but <laughs> yeah, there's too. eight men and three of them have plus one, so that's eleven shots. So you got three BARs at six shots, and then plus five other guys, plus four other guys at eight men squads, five other guys. Yeah, there you go. See, so math. eleven. What does Jeff say? Math sucks. Let's go shopping. <laughs> that's what my wife says all the time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so eleven shots, but you're not. Suffering the minus one move penalty with of any of those not. models, Americans, which is freaking you? awesome. Yeah, because that's that's what makes them good. So you're and still I, getting eleven shots at, at essentially threes or fours at most. I had I had thought about trying to give up one of those squads and put you know, obviously the the, the airborne rangers lead the way and all that stuff. But it's just like you know what I like the the redundancies of having you know you can get four identical squads that you can kind of adjust to whatever scenario you're in, whether you need to go hard left or hard right on the table, and you don't have to worry about just dedicating one squad to hopefully do something. You've got four squads that are all equal power, and you can just put them on the table, get pressure right away. Totally awesome. That's what I like about them. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm building a list right now, and I have five seven-man squads, so we're kind of in the same boat. I don't want to I'd... play you. <laughs> unless, I bring I in, unless I bring an already observer that can hit. Well, hopefully I will. Uh, we'll see. Uh, air, I, I'm sorry, I don't bring an RD observer. I bring an airborne observer, but whatever. Yeah, why uh, you? Yeah, keep going. What else you got? What else you got for us? Is that, that it? That's that's it in a nutshell. That's, that's, uh, what is that? That is nine order dice at, uh, depending on what you do, very, like I said, the variant-wise on the Sherman, whether you want to take care of that. Oh, sorry, it's a veteran Sherman. Did I mention that part? Oh, no, I, no, the veteran Sherman's yeah. a big deal. Yeah, That's where your list varies from my from mine. Yeah, which so. is you know like a almost a forty or fifty point difference between them. Yeah, and you know I'm sitting at nine sixty four, which kind of gives me some fluctuation if I want to take care of the the thin sides with the different uh, Sherman variant, or if I'm gonna go to the seventy six millimeter. So that just kind of gives you some flavor of what you want to do. But the gist I was going forward is the the, the hard four press four eight man units with the with the God help me three BARs. I mean, <laughs> ick. U.S. Yeah. is just disgusting. And then you throw a Sherman in there just, just to piss everyone off. You throw a good Sherman in there at veteran status. 
not dealing with the penalty for moving is going to really outdo any other tank and probably get a flank or a rear shot on something. It's good. That's, Maybe. That's yeah. solid. Yeah. I, would I, not, I would not want to face that. My, my list is not far from – the list that I'm building right now is not far from that. I've got five – like I said, I have five squads. I have a M4 regular Sherman, but I did cancel the easily catch fire rule because sure. I think why would you not do that? Ten points. Yeah, ten points, but makes it a little bit better. I debated on upgrading it to veteran as well, but I, I would um, look. I would look at more canceling the thin sides before the catches fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I the M the seventy five millimeter doesn't have that rule. The thin sides, as far as I can tell, there's so it. many different versions on that. Yeah, tank, so tank is the version I have an M four A one Sherman seventy five millimeter, and it doesn't have that rule. It just has easily catch fire rule. Um, yeah, mine, so mine says easily catches fire and thin sides. Yeah, that sucks to be you, as I've said earlier. Uh, but you're probably paying a little less for it. Uh, two forty-seven. Oh my god, that's expensive. That's that's veteran. that's too much. Oh, it's veteran. Okay. Yeah, you're gonna pay with with that stabilization. You're gonna pay for that ability for yeah. veteran. It's an it's an awesome ability, but don't get me wrong. Also, keep in mind the other. You know, if you're taking fire for something that can't actually pin you, veterans don't take pins from it. So you're Correct. not going to take don't, pins they don't from even an take HMG that opportunity, yeah. or a boy's yep. anti-tank rifle. You're not going to take pins from that whatsoever, right. ever. Right. So yep. that's a big deal. That's that is for a vet that makes morale a big difference. ten is very nice. I've missed yep. those morale rolls by one point more often than not. <laughs> Maybe that's yep. the next podcast we do: missing morale by one. Uh, it'll be Adepticon and then the Germans probably. Okay. But Fair enough. We're, so we're giving you a little head, a little insight. All right. So we're going to get to the one that blows everyone's mind, unless Dale changed his mind here. Dale, did you change your mind? I didn't, actually. You, and you're awake. Good. That's great. All yeah. right, because it's getting kind of late tonight. It yeah, Daylight late. Savings Time is throwing shit off tonight. Uh, and this is going to be a long episode, I think. It, it's, feel, it's feeling long at this point. Yeah, I'll try All to right. keep it short. I don't think you have to. I don't, you're going to blow everyone's mind. We can just drop the mic and walk away. I <laughs> we'll think see. Uh, so, Dale, what do you got for us? So Dale, well, so I'll, I'll, I'll caveat this. So I asked Dale to make the most thematic list, like the, the coolest to paint or to sculpt because he's like the super hobbyist within our group. Uh, he comes up with the coolest ideas to, to play, like to, to win the Player's Choice Award, get the most eyes on it and make everyone kind of drool over it. Right. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways that um, each of us can approach or look at the ways that um, – you know, we can get those players' choices. And if you're not familiar with what players' choice is, basically it comes down to um, if you're if you're at a tournament and there's 80 players, then um, uh, everybody puts their armies out, and then everyone who's participating in the tournament will cast one vote for the army that they think is the coolest or the army that they would want to take home with them. And so it's kind of this big kind of um, opportunity for... Uh, those folks who really enjoy more of the hobbying aspect of the game that we play to, you know, um, come up with these really interesting, cool, unique themes that maybe um, no one's ever thought of before or no one's seen. And so I kind of approached um, approached it um, in that direction, kind of giving some thought to what would be new or fun or interesting. And that could be kind of hard when we're all playing with little green guys or khaki guys or something like that to come up with something that is unique or hadn't, hasn't been seen before. And so, you know, there's a lot of different approaches that you can take. I guess based off of uh, my experience, what I would recommend you do is to, is to find what you're going to have the most fun doing. 
or coming up with or putting out on the table because the unveil is a really big deal because when some people come and they look at what you've done and you're really proud of it and they tell you how much they like it then that just kind of comes back into you and motivates you to do better but on the flip side of that I can't tell you the number of times when I've seen a really really sweet army that inspired me or motivated me to come up with something new and unique or interesting and so um, you know you break down the hobby or the game that we play in three different ways. We've kind of done that. There's the historical side of it, which Jeff kind of talks to you about. There's the tourney, the tourney aspect or playing the game, um, going to the tournaments, doing as well as you can. And then there's this other side of it where, you know, it's painting, whether it's a technical painting or getting better at, you know, your blending or airbrushing, sculpting. So you're modifying your, your army men to be unique or maybe, you know, we don't have a current range of miniatures that um, gives you the right arms or, or weapons for you to carry. So I was looking at different ways that um, or thinking about different ways that we get inspired or come up with ideas. And so Jeff was talking about, you know, the historical list that he put together and what he would have fun with. So, you know, you got that early war, you know, first boots on the ground there in North Africa. And, and so the aspect is and that gives you a theme that you can work with. And so the idea is to take that theme and make it unique or your own. And so, you know, what you could do is with the research that you do, you might find that they were armed or used a really interesting kind of um, a camouflage. And, and so if you if you dig into that and find something that you hadn't seen before, that could be an opportunity to come up with something. Um, basing is another opportunity for you to kind of look at um, how can I make my army, uh, my army stand apart. And so, you know, just kind of thinking about different ways that we, we get it. It, you know, we get um, inspired or motivated. And so I think we mentioned earlier, you know, uh, books, uh, actual history, um, there's documentaries. And then there's this other kind of side of it where we're talking about entertainment, whether it's a movie or a TV series and stuff like that. And so I was thinking about the recent World War II movies that had come out. There's the Hacksaw Ridge. And so um, I was talking to the guys earlier this week, and I'm like, well, you know, Hacksaw Ridge, I think that was like in Okinawa. Is that right, guys? It was in Okinawa? Okinawa? That's correct, yeah. Okay. Yep. All right, so it's about this guy, the medic, I think. It kind of circles around his life. And again, I haven't seen the movie yet. My wife doesn't want to watch those kinds of movies with me, so we haven't seen it. It's a cheap one. order dice. <laughs> it's a cheap order dice. But I'm thinking, I guess, if I get the gist of what of what he's known for, and I think it's actually a guy that was there, and it was this is his story. Um, you know, he he carries like 70 dudes, you know, off the front line and, and saves their lives, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and and um, and so I'm thinking, well. You know, here's an opportunity. Like, if you watched that movie and you really loved it and you wanted your medic to be that guy, you know, there's an opportunity to find a medic. I think I think Warlord released one recently where, you know, a medic was carrying a dude on his shoulders. Is that right? The Germans just had one that the dude's, like, dragging him behind him. Okay. So maybe you can... <laughs> Not quite that so rich. Maybe you can, you can take that guy and modify him and model him up and, and stuff like that to really kind sure, of... Sure, sure. Take take your spin. So the idea is, and so I was going through all these movies, World War II movies that I'd seen or I'd heard about, and I'm like, well, you know, I hear about Band of Brothers a lot. I hear about you know Saving Private Ryan. I don't even know if that's a, a real thing that happened. Um, uh, War in the Pacific, all these other things. I'm like, you know, we've all seen these. We all know what they are. It's still just guys fighting the war. So where can we go that is different and I kind of landed on this final spot here, and I'm going to start off by saying, 
I don't think I would personally do this um, because it's not really quite in my wheelhouse. But, but I am going to kind of throw it out there. So <laughs> that was the long way to say this might blow your mind. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, does someone want to text Jeff to see that he gets back in here? Um, the um, the the only other World War II movie that I remember watching once upon a time that I hadn't seen anything in bolt action was um, the first Captain America movie. Um, now, uh, Captain America isn't real. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. It's not real? That wasn't a documentary? That um, was the mind-blowing fact you are going to get to? Uh, well, yeah, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> and so, all of this for that yes. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> might have overplayed our hand here and so the and so I'm thinking oh man what's going to happen if someone shows up to a bolt action tourney and puts Captain America out on the table and I'm not thinking like hero clicks you know the little you're dropping Captain America on the table and then he snaps to action um, you know, Thor, Iron Man, and the Hulk. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's not what I'm saying. But the idea is that, if I remember correctly in that first movie, there's like, you know, he's out, like, he's like actually fighting, you know, the war with his um, with his buddy, Bucky, and the rest of the guys. Right, he's like a, a more, he's more like an actual... A combatant, uh, right? He's combatant. He's not like a, like not necessarily a superhero per se yet. Right, and so I'm thinking, well, I mean, he didn't, he wasn't wearing his... You know, skin tight, blue and, and red shirt and, and any of that kind of stuff. So I'm thinking, you know what, if if you really loved Captain America, right, um, and really enjoyed kind of the whole superhero part of it, you know, there's an opportunity there for you to kind of get this group of veteran dudes, um, you know, like Bucky and his bro- his bros, that, that group of um, guys that were always following Captain America around. You know, and, and they were on... Um, you know, there were some British dudes in there. There were some free French fighters, some American guys. They were, like, all rescued from the prison, right? Is that what happened? Like, Captain America went in and I, I honestly all am out not. or something? Uh, Un- yeah, unfortunately, Jeff what's... just got – oh, 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 he's back. This, this It's a key component because Jeff was our Captain America debater. Okay, I'm uh, back here. I don't know what the hell Mr. just Debater. happened. <laughs> <laughs> Something broke with our with our podcast. Uh, all tool. that you didn't lose the podcast, right? No, nope, we didn't lose anything. Oh, and welcome God. back. Thank you. Yeah. No. Well, no. I, I, it it's right. all based on me. I think it was. So, the, I think it was the second Captain America movie that you're talking about, Dale, where he actually went in and busted out all the the POWs. And stuff. I think it was yeah, the first so, one. That's the first. No, one. it was the first yeah. one. It's the first. Okay, one. it was the second one I saw. I don't see them in order. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Jeff isn't only our actual historian; he's our our comic book historian as well. He is. He's <laughs> both. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And so and so, I think I think that you this can just in. Silver Yeah, you could put together that veteran unit, you know, of these guys. Now, I don't know if it's appropriate that they're Rangers or not, but if they're super, if they're getting up upfield, and you're pulling, and so the modeling aspect is that you can get guys from different, you know, different armies, you know, get them all together, based the same way, uh, done up so that they look similar, and then, you know, with Captain America, I don't think you're running him as like your actual like leader, because it's kind of boring if he's just sitting there and he's not doing anything. I would actually put a guy on a motorcycle to be Captain America, and so, and so the idea is if if you really are like into the whole the superhero comic book thing, I'm not, but if you are, then what it is is I find with the best themes, um, the most fun themes, is that they inspire you to to play a certain way that you 
might not necessarily do. So if I've got a guy that's Captain America here on a motorcycle, and like 12 bros that are all veteran out and follow him around and just, you know, you know, kick German butt, I would have them as far forward as fast as I could to do as much heroic stuff that happens. And, you know, sure, nine times out of ten they're just going to get destroyed. But that tenth time when they do something absolutely freaking amazing and you can scream, suck at Hydra, that would totally be worth it, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. That, that's epic. Yeah. And so we, we were kind of going back and forth. Um, again, now, I've never read the comic book, so I don't even know if, like, they rebooted him two or three times and he's actually a woman now. Um, so, again, it's just my limited, you know, I saw the movie once late at night on television or whatever. I think that would actually be... It, 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 you have to be really subtle here because it can be a lot of fun, but you could kind of troll. It could be kind of trollish too. So you have to be careful that you're not. Yeah. You know, I mean, we were going back and forth, and I'm like, you can't. He can't have a shield. Um, I think he that would be has too to have far. A shield. And the other shield. guys were like, no, he's got to have a shield. I, I'm thinking maybe you can model up the motorcycle with a little more armor or something, and have a little blue and red in there. But I, I wouldn't put a shield. On yeah, it. I that mean, doesn't make sense the, to me. The first, the the first movie, he is very much not in like the giant red and blue suit. He's got like leather and stuff, and he's like he looks like a motorcycle guy. But he's still got the shield. He can ride. He could be on his motorcycle with it on his back. You, it's you totally just, still within flavor. You paint the shield. You mount it like uh, near the saddlebag on the motorcycle. And yeah, or on the saddlebag. Because yeah, he doesn't throw the shield in the first movie hardly right. ever. Right. Right. Okay. He's just holding onto it the whole time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, second, depending on what order you watch them in. <laughs> well, if you if you watch them in the right order, this is not Star Wars. You watch them in one, two, three. Um, but they all have different names. They don't say, like, this is Captain America Episode 1, Captain America Episode 2. <laughs> it's not quite as easy as Star Wars either. But regardless, I, I think it's a really cool theme. I think we don't even have to go through your whole list. You'd have that one unit that's kind of – they're saving a bunch of other the, – what it, the 109, is that what they were? Like they were the screaming or the howling 109. Yeah, the howling, yeah, the howling commandos. Howling yeah, commandos. There you go. They're, so they're saving the paratroopers, the, the one of the airborne divisions. Uh I think you can make that pretty awesome. I think that's pretty sweet. Yeah, and so the idea is that you know it, it's you know it it might stretch, well, it definitely stretches kind of what that may might. be acceptable. Um, but the idea is that you know, it, and we go back and forth because you know we're in this hobby because we enjoy it and we love it. And the idea is that you should be able to paint and play with something that you want to do. Um, but at the same time, we're a community, and I'm a big kind of. Um, all of the above kind of um, gamer, so that's that's where I'm. I would go with the whole thing. It's just um, just kind of out there. So um, I definitely would leave the whole Hydra list to Conflict Forty Seven, though. So totally. And if if any of you guys have complaints, it's Dale at the Podcast. <laughs> just kidding. Don't yeah. you can you can uh, message sorry, us on Facebook that if you're really again? upset. Yeah, you can message us on Facebook if you really have a problem with it. It's a super fun idea. It, yeah, it might freak out seeing, some people. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the Captain America lists. <laughs> it would be awesome, actually. I think it would be great. I, I just from a just unique painting perspective, I think it gives you the option to to do something a little bit different. All right, and and that's kind of where Players Choice lands. Is it's it's Correct. in this space that um, is a little bit outside of what we normally see, which is 
you know i mean we all know what we normally see so you know it, it pushes the boundaries maybe too far i don't know but i think i think it would be fun and be awesome yeah totally it, it it's super cool idea it's totally I, fun. when you told us i was like what i'm like i would have never thought of doing that uh hopefully we'll see someone do it in the future i, still I know dale is yeah, I know Dale is holding on to his best secrets. If he ever decides to do Americans, he's not gonna he's not gonna tell you his best choice. He's gonna just give you stuff that that he won't be doing. Wow, he's gonna, he's gonna throw you chaff and flares to lead you off the track. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's not gonna do anything that would you know that he Here's would tell everyone do. else you to do. You should go yeah. ahead and grab Mount Everest and just climb it. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, and what I was mostly afraid of was that when I made the initial recommendation or the idea of this theme, that those who were really into the historical aspect of it would just lose their minds. And then the fact oh. that I don't really know about Captain America or the real true history, <laughs> that those people that did would be like, are you kidding me? That's not Captain America at all. So I don't know. We'll see. I think it was the best of both worlds because you not only did you upset upset people that might actually be historically relevant, you you upset the people that might be comic book relevant. So right. you've if like you've the more pissed off piss everyone. Off, it's like yeah. a diversity thing. Yeah, yes. yeah. You, you, you are, you're hitting equally, all the. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. You've hit every checkbox. I'm an equal opportunity offender. Yeah. No. Totally. <laughs> all right. I yeah. That's awesome. I I I love that theme when you told me that on Thursday night. I thought it was super funny. Uh, and I thought it was. Totally perfect for what I what I asked you to do. Okay. So, yeah. So you you've hit you've all I think all three of you guys did a perfect job of what it is. Uh, and going forward, I think we'll be doing something similar to this in every episode with the army books when we get to them. Uh, so I think that is all of it. Unless there's anything else anyone wants to add to the American theme, this is the, the forever uh, speaker forever hold your peace part of of the episode. Come late, win big. Write the history books. Right. Yeah, that, that seems to be the American way. Bring big guns. I, I hear that works too. Yeah, and take credit. And, and, and write the history books. I think that makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, all right. Okay, so we're going to – we're headed to Adepticon. We'll see you guys. You can uh, – Dale, unfortunately, isn't going to be able to join us, but Jeff, Pat, and I will be there. Uh, look for us in our shirts. If you want to, if you want to come and say hi, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, otherwise you can post on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, it's the snafu podcast at both of them. Otherwise you can go to our website, the snafupodcast.com, and you can hook up to all of our social media there as well as listen, download any episodes that we have so far. Uh, hopefully this one will hit before Adepticon. Uh, I'll make sure that it does actually, because I just mentioned that we were going to be there. Uh, Right after that, we'll probably have a uh, super special episode with, uh, with a guest host because, like I said, Dale isn't going to be joining us. We'll have another person joining us on the team's tournament. Uh, hopefully we'll get him involved. And then after that, I think we're going to do the Army, Army of Germany, and we'll see where we go after that one. Uh, so, Snafu, over and out. Roger that. Later, guys. All right, awesome.
I'm off to Yokohama for the red, white, and blue. My country and you. Goodbye, Mama. I'm off to Yokohama just to teach all those Japs, the Anxano Saps. A million fighting sons of Uncle Sam, if you please. We'll soon have all those Japs right down on their Japanese. So goodbye, Mama. I'm off to Yokohama for my country, my flag, and you. Strong, you won't be gone long. Say bye bye, Mama, the land of Yama Yama, until April, I guess. There'll be your address on Christmas Eve when Dad and I are trimming the tree. You'll do your share of trimming out on land and on sea. Say goodbye to Mama, you're off to Yokohama for your country, your flag, and me. Fighting sons of Uncle Sam, if you please. We'll soon have all those Japs right down on their Japanese. Goodbye, Mama. I'm off to Yokohama for my country, my 